This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're counting down our top 10 films of 2020. 2020, 2020, 2020. It ended. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello, hi! Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies and more weekly. We dig into Ooh. movies via mostly spoiler for review, the occasional commentary track, or some, uh, some other fun movie topic. This is episode 435. 435. Don't trust the, the don't trust the B in apartment 435. Yep, that's what it was. Yep. And for this week's episode, we are doing our top 10 films of 2020. Ah. We are Woo. wrapping up a tumultuous year, to say the least. Uh, but there were many films that we were able to see, and we're going to talk about the ones that we feel are the best of that year. So, yes, Indeed. I'm excited for this. I know, Abe, you're excited for this, right? Always. And uh, this, this is going to be fun. We have, a, we have a wonderful guest with us, who I'll get to in a second, but we'll note that, as we usually do on the Top Ten Shows, we have lots of guests that are involved. Uh, via separate recordings, uh, we put together a number of different uh, Top Ten lists from all of the many of the regular guests that we have on the show, and they will be running sporadically throughout this episode. So, you know, be sure to you know stay tuned, because you're going to hear them cut into that every now and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but joining us live for this week's episode, we have, from Movies Marcus... They call him an invisible bird of one promising young soul hovering over Greenland and recently the king of Tenet back in 1984. It's actually Marcus Robinson. Wow. Yes, what? I'm here again. Yeah. I'm uh, here more than Abe. <laughs> <laughs> Am I? Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Marcus, kidding. Uh, hold on. i got to go to the hospital to treat this backstab wound. My <laughs> <I> bad. <No. laughs> I'm tired. It's late. No, I love it. Bring it. Bring the energy. <laughs> no, 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 because I don't want any games or anything. <laughs> I don't well, want any retaliatory like games. <laughs> we well, Marcus, <laughs> we're glad we are glad to have you here. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Glad we, to be. As we wrap up the movies of 2020, and just leave that whole year behind and get into this new year that should ideally be a lot better, but we'll see so far. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, yeah. Hoping for the best here. It's early. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Marcus, we're here. We're glad to have you here, and we're gonna go into this. We're gonna. This is good. This is fairly straightforward. We're just gonna go into our top tens of the year, uh, and talk about a lot of uh, films that we really liked. And we're also then gonna get into um, you know, some of the other fun stuff, the honorable mentions, obviously, but also some surprises we might have had, some disappointments, some of our favorite movie moments from the year, some of our favorite performances. Uh, and we got some feedback as well. Hey, please don't let me forget the feedback, because I got that to go along with it also. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so we're just really just counting through through all, all the stuff we have here. Um, as far as uh, show notes go, uh, not a ton. We have a new commentary track on the way. Actually, this week we'll be recording our first of several Hannibal Lecter podcasts uh, for the first uh, five months of this year, because there's five Hannibal Lecter movies. Um, we're going to be starting with Michael Mann's Manhunter. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be fun. We got a lot of fans of uh, that film that want to be involved in that commentary track, so stay tuned for that one. And um, iTunes reviews and ratings, of course. If you like, uh, you know, this is one of our five favorite shows to do, episodes to do of the year, the top ten episode. And if you like how you know this one goes, and you like our other nonsense, feel free to log on to iTunes and search for out now there in a day. You can uh, please, give us uh, all the five stars. Yeah, five stars, even a review. That'd be great. Hi, this is Mark Hoban of FastFilmReviews.com, and I'm going to give you my top 10 films of 2020. At number 10, Summerland, 
a tender portrait of two people during World War II. Number nine, Wolf Walkers, a stunning animated tale that takes us into the past. Number eight, Bad Education, great performances from Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney with a funny and informative script. Number seven, Relic, a fascinating horror film about what happens when we age. Number six, Beats, a compelling exploration of freedom, social class, and UK dance subculture between two unlikely friends. Number five, Sound of Metal, the kind of human drama I adore with great performances. Number four, Promising Young Woman, seizes the cultural zeitgeist and presents an incredibly entertaining film. Number three, Minari, a beautiful portrait of the American dream. Number two, Palm Springs, one of the best romantic comedies in years. And number one, Hamilton. Few records of this type have ever felt so immediate, vibrant, and vital. And no film gave me more joy last year. So that's my top 10. And once again, this is Mark Hoban of FastFilmReviews.com. Let's get this thing going. We're just let's, we're, we're launching into this. So what we're going to do for our top 10 show, we're going to first count down our 10 through 6 fairly rapidly uh, so we can each kind of get those out there. And then we'll have a discussion about that first five films. Um, and then we'll move on to a more round robin style of our reading for the five through one. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, with all that in mind, let's just let's, let's kick it off. Marcus, what are your 10 through six on your list here? 10 through six, just just list them? You can list <laughs> yeah. them. You can, you can say a little something about each yeah, one. Yeah, you can say You can add a blurb. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Uh, okay, so number 10, uh, the most surprising on my list, probably, uh, yeah, it's Ava, uh, Star Jessica Chastain as a as a uh, an assassin with a bounty on her head, and it's I wouldn't say it's a technically good movie, but it's on my list because it's super entertaining. I don't know what else to say. I, hey man, I, entertainment I'm, value counts for a lot. I'm a big Tate Taylor guy when he's doing Ma. If is that is that a, like a, a category? Anyway, we, I'm starting to we, we, we will we will get back to this. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> that's a category just when he's doing ma I, I, okay any um okay nine uh never rarely sometimes always it's uh also a movie about a uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes about <laughs> an american teenager who must obtain an illegal abortion with uh it basically just depicts um what it looks like to obtain an uh, a legal abortion in america if uh uh, uh um, you don't have um, uh, uh, parental consent. And then number eight is Red, White, and Blue from Small Axe. It's the John Boyega one. It's about Leroy Logan. He was a black forensic scientist who became a cop after his father was assaulted by police officers. This all takes place in London. I'm sure we'll get into this one a little bit more as well. Um, but I, I really love this one because it was a, a good conversation about stuff that was happening in 2020, defund the police arguments. Um, it, it's kind of all in this this movie. Number seven, uh, 40-year-old version. It, this is a movie that really just caught mm. me off guard. I wasn't really going to watch it. Um, I'm glad you other did. than I just kind of stumbled on it on Netflix. 
because I hadn't heard really nothing about it. I don't know how, but I'd heard really nothing about it. Um, it's about a, a black female New York playwright who is thought to be having this midlife crisis because she pursues a career in rap. And it is reminds me of early Spike Lee, not just because it's black and white, but because it really uh, – uh, uh, it really puts it out there that this is a person who is in a field with white gatekeepers and it's hurtling sexism and ageism. And it's, it's just – it really does a good job of doing that while still maintaining its kind of comedic sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, number six is a, a Possessor, who, which I've been calling uh, Progressor. The entire time, I think. Uh, Possessor Uncut. Um, like on purpose? <laughs> I don't know. Every time I say it, I say, oh, have you seen Progressor? It's this new movie. And they're Are like, shirts? I don't know. Is this like <laughs> some uh, AOC movie? I just I don't I haven't heard of. But I <laughs> anyway, I really I, I really admired this movie. I really admired what uh, Brandon Cronenberg was doing. It's a movie. OK, so if I let me explain it. It's a movie about uh, an alternate universe where assassins take control of uh, people's bodies by brain implant technology. And it sounds super complicated and it really has a high bar to get to conceptually, but it nails it to me. It nailed every single aspect of what I wanted out of a sci fi movie and that's my sense all right well thank you marcus hi this is jay cluett of deep blue sea the podcast and formerly of the Lambcast. for my top 10 films of the year as usual i have a lot of films in it that came out in the uk in this year but would have been released the year before or earlier in other countries so i would have things like uh parasite 1917 uncut gems that kind of thing were in my top 10 but if i were to go strictly for 2020 releases then my top 10 films are uh, uncle frank soul extraction the trial of the chicago seven emma the personal history of david copperfield tenet to five bloods the invisible man and my number one is hamilton not just the, my favorite film of 2020 but also the soundtrack i've listened to the most out of possibly any soundtrack of all films ever. It's the film of the original cast performing on stage that dropped on Disney+. Plus. I was very grateful for that to be dropped. I'd never listened to it before. I was waiting to see it before listening to anything. And I loved pretty much the entire thing. It's great. And uh, it was just a delight. So yes, Hamilton was my favourite film of 2020. Thanks guys for another year of podcasting. Keep up the good work. Uh, Abe, what's your uh, 10 through 6? Yeah, my 10 through 6. Number 10 here is The Wolf of Snow Hollow. This is a movie that we talked Ooh. about Um not too long ago, but it was it was small and it's uh it's been sticking in my mind because I've seen it at least like two more times after we've talked about it, just because of the writing and the way that uh, I like that Jim Cummings is, is making his movies and the way that his character is very manic. Um, and then Aaron led me in a on the pathway to go and watch the full version of Thunder Road, which uh, I also enjoyed. Okay. Oh, yeah, so it was it was cool to just kind of catch up on on his full film filmography because um, he's made a lot of shorts and he's made a lot of uh, uh, other things. Um, number nine is a documentary we talked about called Dick Johnson is Dead. Um, the way Great. that they make this documentary mm-hmm. is um, not the way that you would think that a normal documentary is made. And this is made by um, man, the name is slipping, but she's uh, she's Johnson. also. Yeah, Kristen Johnson, thank you. It's either like Christian or Kirsten, but um but yeah, yeah, it's Kristen Johnson and she is 
a cinematographer who's made movies that we've all seen, but the way that she makes this about her father is so unique and it, it speaks to a lot of love, but also a lot of like anxiety as to like how things might be let go um, when you do let go of the, uh, of your, of your parents um, because of their passing of, of old age. But um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. Eight is uh, an American pickle. Uh, yeah. I really like this for its simplicity in, in, Seth Rogen concept <laughs> and what I mean by that is like Seth Rogen is he's kind of like a, a guy that can be out there but I really like that he's a little more grounded so to speak in this role um, and I like that this movie is just like all about New York and Brooklyn and and in this town it does get a little wacky uh when things start going but with the way that Seth Rogen plays both characters is uh, is is fun and entertaining and it's a pretty short movie so you can get through it pretty quickly Seven is the Vast of Night. This is another movie that we've talked about mm. on the show here. Um, what I like about this movie a lot is that, again, it's simple in its nature, but also it's a movie that I, I really wasn't expecting anything out of. And I was like, this is a very good movie. Like, the way that the, the camera moves, the way that the characters interact with each other, the way that the scenes are set and the way that the, the production design is is uh, working and then there's like payoff at the end there too it's not all just imaginary there's actual payoff um maybe not like the most uh you know the most warm way but it is certainly is something that I, I wasn't expecting out of the movie um so that's that and then number six is um spike lee's defy bloods uh kind of like on the cusp of the top five but it's a it's a solid movie one of the the more um I think like better directed, better acted movies of the year. Uh, we, I'm sure that that uh, uh, a lot of love will be given toward Delroy Lindo, or at least I hope. Um, and then also definitely for um, Chadwick Boseman as well. But it certainly is a movie where I was gripped through the entire thing, um, and it made me think about a lot of uh, like we've talked about on the on the review. But it, it, there's a lot more to it than just a group of friends goes back to try and find un, un like uh, buried gold. There's, there's just so many layers to it um, of uh, political oppression, you know, the black experience with war and PTSD, and then also just, um, I guess, uh, survivors of guilt as well. So yeah, uh, top 10 through six there. All right. Hello, I am Philip Price from reviewsfromabed.com as well as Tavern Talk by Initial Reaction on YouTube. And I'm happy to share my top 10 films of 2020 with Aaron and Abe. At number 10 is writer-director Jessica Swath's Summerland, starring Gemma Arterton. Number 9, I have Lee Winnell's Take on the Invisible Man, starring Elizabeth Moss. At number 8 is the first film and director Steve McQueen's small axe anthology, Mangrove. At number 7, I have the directorial debut of Andrew Patterson in The Vast of Night. Number 6 is Palm Springs, starring Andy Samberg and Krista Malati. Number 5, I have the documentary Dick Johnson is Dead, which you should definitely all catch on Netflix right now. Um, at number four, I have the collaboration between Chloe Zhao and Francis McDormand. That is Nomadland. Number three is Corey Finley's follow-up to Thoroughbreds. It stars Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney, um, and it's called Bad Education. Number two is The Sound of Metal, starring Riz Ahmed. And my number one film of 2020 is Lee Isaac Chung's Minari. Thank you guys once again for letting me shout out my top ten, and hope you have a happy new year. Keep in mind, I don't know Abe's list. Abe, do you know my list? No. Yeah, so we don't know each other's list. Marcus, I I know your list. Do you have? Did you see my list at all? I have not. No. Okay, so there's mostly a lot of surprise <clears throat> here. 
Yeah, so, so which is awesome. I'm assuming something's on your list because I was on a podcast two weeks ago. But, <laughs> yeah, <first of> <laughs> I'm assuming there's something, uh, well, these one of these small acts things on there. Well, we'll get we'll get there. <laughs> we'll um, get there. But let's let me go through my ten through six, and then we can talk a little bit about all these a little bit more. Uh, my number ten is Baccarat, an mm. excitingly odd Brazilian genre film that matches economic unrest of a rural village with the wild intrusion of wacky mercenaries. It's this mm. spaghetti western slash political allegory slash dark comedy that's just offbeat and just it it stuck with me. Like I saw it back in, jeez, I want to say April or June, and we it just it lingered in the back of my mind for a good long time. Where by the time it got to you know December, I'm like, I guess this is a top ten because <laughs> this is just really still with me. When you uh, know, you know. Yeah. yeah. My uh, my number nine film was called Jalakatu. Think the raid, but it's about a group of villagers trying to capture an escaped buffalo. It's an incredibly well-made film. The buffalo's a drug dealer, Kingpin. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's an incredibly well-made film. It leaves an impact. It it's just like really exciting filmmaking. It's this like crazy action film, yet it's about we got to get this buffalo. Uh, I'll, we'll talk more about it, but like it it just it it, it was like a late entry. Like this is great. <laughs> that was my thought there. Um, my number eight film is Soul. Uh, for me, this is Pete Docter's best film so far, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's imaginative, it's life-affirming, it's informed by black voices in a way that really resonated with me. I, I think it's pretty spectacular for Pixar. Another spectacular Pixar movie. Uh, my number seven, tied with you, Abe, is The Vast of Night. It is oh, wow. a little indie that figures out how to combine this sense of wonder with a stylish take on old 50s radio dramas. I similarly was a huge fan of this movie that like came out of nowhere. Um, I, I know it you know, was in festivals or whatnot, but it just kind of dropped on Amazon and I saw I was getting a lot of great reviews and I checked it. I was like, this is wonderful. Like, this <laughs> is like, there's so much going for it. And my number six film is first cow. It has the year's best cow. What more is there to say? <laughs> mm. Beautiful cow. Uh, yeah. That's the, that's the Russell Crowe sequels they're making. <laughs> the beautiful cow. Yeah, when it, when when you see Russell Crowe thinking, it's just like milk and like biscuits and things on the screen in front of his head. It's, it's gonna be fantastic. I can't wait. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I so I didn't know your list, but I I was suspecting Vast and I was gonna be on there. I actually thought it might have been higher because uh, I know that you liked it oh, quite I've, a bit. I've I've struggled moving things around. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, is, I hear you. Yeah. But let's not let's so before we get to the let's talk about that a little. I, we we can talk a little bit like making these lists and what have you. Like this year in general, have, was it like was it easy for you guys to make a list of ten films if not more? Honestly, no. And I would say that it's because this year, this last year has been very different from the past 10 years that we've been doing this, the show, you know what I mean? Like there's been things like Aaron and I would discuss things after the show and be like, well, what are we going to talk about next week? And so, you know, as, as the calendar kept pushing things back or as all these movies are being released because they were uh, smaller and then they, they kind of just came up because studios were like, well, it's done. Let's just release it. Um, it became a little bit more of like, well, what did I actually watch this year? So I had to use a lot of different things to to jog my memory. Um, but it wasn't as simple as like, oh, well, that one really like, yes, a few of them really do stand out. But it wasn't as simple as maybe years past where, you know, there's a flood of things come October um, through January. And you're just like, yeah, I, I, these are definitely going to be going top 10. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Be yeah, for sure. Sure. I, I, I kind of agree with that, too, um, I, I, in the sense where I, I feel like I had to search 
more stuff out. Um, there's a, I mean, like there's a couple on here that really I had no clue about, and I feel like I really should have had some kind of clue about them. But um, I feel like if there was a lot of these movies that got pushed would have made it on this list as well. Um, <clears throat> uh, I'm hoping like Dune would have made it on this list or mm. something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was a little bit of an adjustment um, to search out uh, on different platforms, I think. I um, Now, granted, I'm in a different position as far as having, you know, critic access to stuff. So I've just seen mm-hmm. a ton of things. So as far mm-hmm. as making what is was it easy? I would say no, but for a different reason. It's because I had so much stuff to choose from, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, I'm in a position where my top 20 through 11 is a great top 10 list on its own for me. So it's like, yeah, I, I have lots of great options here. So it was really more about finding an arrangement as as you know arbitrary as it can be but just like settling on this is you know first cow's my number six like just finding mm-hmm. that you know finding what i right. wanted each spot to be it was like that was the, the struggle for me but in terms of like movie watching yes i agree there's you know obviously a lot of difference in this year compared to other years as far as kind of more mainstream releases and availability but as far as like smaller studios just churning out a lot of stuff there's a lot of options out there I, right and, and i certainly encourage you know anybody listening that might not have seen a lot of films last year to, you know, look into, you know, not only our list, but other lists out there and like, you know, the stuff that's getting up for awards. It's like, it's things that are generally available on streaming. Like it's not hard to find a lot of this stuff here. So, right. Hi, this is Michael Lee and I write for that's it LA. My top 10 films of 2020 are birds of prey, wolf walkers on the rocks, first cow soul, Nomadland. One Night in Miami, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and at number one, Minari. Hi, this is Kevin Taft, film critic from Edge Media Network. Here are my top ten for 2020. Um, at number ten, Gunda, followed by The Prom, The Dark and the Wicked. At seven is Wendy. Six is Aviva. Five, Shithouse. Four, Promising Young Woman. Three, Nomadland two driveways and one Zevio Dolan's Matias and Maxime. Uh, with that said, let's go into these top 10 lists. Um, these, this first half of them anyway, and let's start of course with Ava. <laughs> so, um, oh, wow. I have seen this movie. It's one of these. Twice. <laughs> I've seen it twice. Listen, and I'm going to say something that's going to piss a lot of people off. I liked it more than John Wick. I, uh, okay. I did. Okay. No, no, listen, wow. listen, 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 listen. I was purely entertained. <laughs> this may be one of those movies. It's not that's because of the action. Of... I know that. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. I, I this, okay. So in in my thing here, right in front of me, I say, uh, let's see, what do I say? I said the choreography is even clunky at times. Yeah, it, for sure. It, it's it, it's kind of a clunky mess of a movie technically it's it was shockingly entertaining um i was way into it i I was my first view and i was wondering why i was so into this movie like there was did i miss something maybe i was like in need of some kind of mindless whatever and i had it's it was 2020 kind of taking over but i saw it for a second time i really enjoyed the kind of performances that were just up front 
for me. I don't, they weren't any kind so, of deep. It was Colin Farrell being Colin Farrell. In addition, yeah, in addition and, to Jessica Chastain, you have Colin Farrell, John Malkovich, he's, and they're, um, they're who's playing the, themselves. Who, Gina Davis, right? Gina Davis is the mom. <laughs> Gina Davis is in this movie for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, common. The, the best, the best scene oh, is common. All right. And common, yeah, that's right. I was like, who's the other one? Common. Smoking Aces Part Three. The, the, the best scene in this movie for me was when yeah. Colin Farrell and John Malkovich, who are both like her handlers, and yeah. she's like an assassin. It's when they're fighting over her, like yeah. as far as like, because she's like, I don't know, she's doing too good of a job, <laughs> and like Colin Farrell didn't I... like that, <laughs> and John Malkovich is like, let her do what she wants to do, and they fight each other over the control they don't have over her. <laughs> uh, this is not a movie that I'm going to disagree with any kind of criticism about because it's it's just like... <laughs> I'm not even putting I, it I, down. I'm just like, you you tend I, to have I, like I, at least I, one unique pick on your list. And this is it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, okay. Okay. So, so, li, 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 so there was other movies that I just bumped off, honestly. Uh, and and I will go through whatever. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Like, but this... It, so in my 10 spot, almost since November, was Mangrove. And th- I'm not saying that this is better than Mangrove because it's not. It it, it just really hit me. It, it really got me in that good feeling. I wanted to see something that was this mindless entertainment thing. And it, it's, it's, it's like a B port. It's like a, a B version of like, taken and john wick and what all those movies are trying to do but it was just really entertaining and the second time i watched it i had to put it all on tate taylor's shoulders i had to say this this guy is doing what he did with ma which is another movie that was super uh top 10 flawed no i didn't love it but my second go around Mm -hmm. with ma i liked it more it is i like it is on hbo max i think i liked it more (laughs) even though i think think it's majorly flawed just like this one i think it's majorly flawed they're just entertaining i want to get to the end I, i'm entertained throughout there's not one minute that i was at all bored with this movie um i just don't know how to defend it no i, 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 I love it you you haven't you I'm, honestly your best defense was saying that i was entertained throughout it yeah and that's what movies should do to people you know what i mean like if it moves you it moves you and that's really all that needs to happen because sometimes nothing here is rangy it's just super entertaining. I don't. I don't know. Fair? Yeah, and it didn't like slip. It was like I'm definitely putting this on my top ten, and I'm definitely kicking Mangrove off for something <laughs> because of this movie. So yeah, that that's uh, Ava. <laughs> Speaking of entertaining, Abe, how about American Pickle? That was a fun here. American Pickle was fun. It was it was kind of like one of those movies that you know we talked about it. I I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't. I had heard things about it, yes, coming out of festivals and and uh, whatever else, but I was expecting like another Seth Rogen like ranch comedy, maybe a little bit more layered, or I'm sorry, um, level-headed, but because um, he had just come off of a movie which released there in um, long, I feel shot. long shot, where it was like okay, a little more subdued. He's getting older, and then also what I dig about it is that uh, it sort of like mirrors his Twitter personality, which is like he's gotten a little bit more serious on Twitter about like um pottery for one and then also like his political stances um and so it was just like yeah this is nice and refreshing to see seth rogan play a toned down version of somebody that he would have been off the walls bouncy like 10 years ago um which is strange to say because we've we've now seen seth rogan on the screen for at least like 
you know, 20 which, years. Which Seth Rogen character are you talking about when you're saying this? Like, well, I'm, I, I guess I'm just thinking about, like, the way that he would make something like um, This is the End or something like that, you know, where it's a little bit more raunchy. It's a little bit more. Um, OK, so you're talking about, like, the tone of the film in general. The tone of the film. Yeah, sure. not, I'm not talking about, like, Seth Rogen himself. Like, no, but I mean, like, the kissy play. I mean, as lack of crudeness as there is in this movie it is also a movie where he plays it you know an, an, an old jew from the old country that's been fossilized in yes, pickle juice yeah. <laughs> he's like got questionable things that he does but also at the heart of it at the core of it all it's it's a good family about or it's a good story about family and also lineage and mm-hmm. um continuing on and and kind of uh being proud of who you are where you've come from yeah um the stories that your family can can tell and pass on uh, again, in between all of that stuff, there are weird hijinks like selling pickles uh, from rainwater and rain gutters um, and, and then, you know, uh, giving internships and sleeping in parks and whatever else. Like, yes, that stuff is all goofy and stuff. But, you know, like I, I had problems with it. But the thing is, it doesn't really last for that long, you know, like in the movie. It's not as though it's like the half the movie is all that. It's like I think I probably like 20 minutes of it and then it, it gets on to other things. That's was he was he was brined, yeah. <laughs> and therefore he was. Oh. He was you have, uh, you have a zero American pickle, apparently, Mark. I have <laughs> not. I have not. I'm 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 picturing and seeing on the man is what I I'm mean, picturing. Well, Except kind of. Well, kind of. <laughs> as far as he sees this, he's from the old country, and he accidentally find, falls into a pickle vat and gets pickled for a hundred years and comes out. Yeah. Just okay. it just as good. And he meets perfectly preserved. And he meets like his great great grandson, who's also played by Seth Rogen, and they you know live in New York together. <laughs> okay. right. All right. And I think you know if you're wondering about the science, Marcus. Well, <laughs> in the science part, and then you it's see one it of the best it. one of the best jokes of the movie involves yeah. the science of this of this movie. <laughs> okay. So it's For on sure. HBO Max. It's worth checking out. On HBO sure. Max, it's worth your watch, or it's worth a watch. You know, if HBO Max is what it like fourteen dollars a month. It's totally fine if you just watch it for for if you pay for it, watch it once and then leave it on for thirty more days for free and then and then cancel your subscription. High praise from Abe right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did think about it in terms of movie ticket prices. Like, yeah, of course it's fine, you know. So, yeah, an American pickle. Hello, this is Maxwell Haddad from the PJ Campbell Network, and here are my top ten films of 2020. At number ten, we have The Invisible Man. At number nine, we have Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. At number eight, we have Another Round, which is in Danish with English subtitles. At number seven, we have Pixar's Soul. At number six, we have Palm Springs. At number five, we have the gorgeous animated adventure Wolfwalkers. At number four, we have Kelly Reichardt's First Cow. At number three, we have Sound of Metal. At number two, we have Promising Young Woman. And at number one, we have Chloe Jaws Nomadland, which was far and away the most gorgeous, cathartic, an impressive film I saw all year. Thank you so much, and here's to 2021. What about you, Aaron? Like I forget, uh, you and I had Vesta Night, but then there was um, uh, something. Else. What was right after Vesta Night? Your number six, actually. First cow. First cow. Yeah, first cow. It's coming up for me, so I don't like. Uh, I, I will. I will add that I enjoyed it as well. Um, and again, that cow is beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, I'll, I'll be happy to talk about the cow more. So I'll back up to the other animal on the list, the buffalo in Jalakatu, because this movie I, is I, yes. it's wild. It's on Amazon right now, so you can very easily watch it. But um, I'm Prime, like video, like you can watch it for free. Uh-huh. Um, but it's it has such a cool style, like the direction of this film. It's like it just throws you into this thing. And 
it's edited in like in such a way where it just it feels like there's like constant adrenaline going from like the way it's the way it's put together the sound design like it just has this real great sense of momentum which is why i thought, thought of like the raid because it's like it feels really like gritty and you're like looking at this you know indie little indian town little village and it's not it's not working as like like an anthropology lesson as far as like what this village is like it's just about the the event that's causing a problem here and so in addition to seeing like this buffalo that's running amok and they have to chapter it you're also seeing like the frustration of the people in this village who are like fighting each other over the fact that they're stressed about this buffalo so it's just like really entertaining to watch this thing and it it doesn't like it's not a horror movie but like it the way it presents the buffalo makes it feel like this like crazy threat that they're trying to like get past and mm-hmm. there's like all these little personal conflicts that arise because of it it's just really good i was and it's like 90 oh, minutes. Again, layers it's yeah and it's another one of these like it's 90 minutes on amazon you can easily watch it movie so it's like i aaron don't tell me that it's 90 minutes because then i'll never see it and it's an action movie no less it's not like you know i cold war is fantastic it's 85 minutes and it's a drama and it's sad this is an action movie this is even easier to like put on the queue and just check yeah. out right away <laughs> it's just really good <laughs> what else i'm glad you saw 40 year old version marcus i think that movie's really good it's not in my top 10 but it's, it's a really good movie yeah yeah i i i like i said i stumbled on it i i did i i think this would be one of those ones where i would have heard about it if i was more i don't know if i wasn't just randomly searching for movies um well you're not wrong it just kind of got dumped into like it was at sundance and it got the praise mm-hmm. there but it just kind of got dumped on netflix in the you know in like october or something and there's so many things yeah every week right and netflix is yeah, most of these are just terrible at promoting you know the stuff that they right. have which is a shame especially when it comes to right. you know a movie like this that's you know made made independently by a black woman wins a bunch right. of awards at film festivals and then just gets unceremoniously dropped onto this channel it's like this right. is this is essentially what the movie's about yeah. exactly yeah that's the irony <laughs> yeah that's the irony of the, of the thing to begin with just uh about uh everybody kind of uh pushing her to the side and oh yeah you did a thing once and now you're 40 and it's over and now you have to do the poverty porn which uh is a term that I, I I had never heard before this. So I, I I really admired this movie. I really admired what it what not only what it wanted to do, but what it achieved as far as um, really showing this version of this black woman at this age on the cusp of forty, um, who really wants to pursue her art form and. In, in a city that's full of diversity, but run by old white men. So I, I really, I, I just, I, I, that's why it really reminded me of some kind of uh, early, like Spike Lee. Yeah, no, you can see uh, that for sure. You know, um, just, with, you know, I, I think that, that her comedy sense, um, uh, uh, what's her name? Rita Blank? Rada Blank. Rada Blank. Um, her comedy sense is really, really strong here. Um her writing's really strong here, and I mean the raps are really good. <laughs> so I mean it's well just, made. Like I mean you well mentioned made. the black and white, but like that does add something. Like it is right. like it's very intense. It's not like a obviously it's a stylistic choice, but it's not added just to be like I don't know trendy or whatever you want to call right. it. it. It like it works as far as presenting the film in a unique way that's hitting on the themes and has a role towards the end. Like it's neat what it does with. Mm-hmm the format that is chosen so no I, I really like this movie too like it it's it's in there it's in it's in the in this this giant list of mine as far as good movies 
This one was better than Ava. <laughs> so, okay. Oh, okay, that's good to know. <laughs> that will be my test for every movie I see from now. Is it better than Ava? <laughs> is it better than Ava? Yes. Um, Dick Johnson is Dead was in my top ten for a long time, and I finally mm-hmm. took it out. It's still, you know, hovering right there on the honorable mentions. But on the cusp? Yeah. yeah, certainly a great movie. Yes. Yeah, certainly, and you know, we, we talked about it a lot too. But just the, again, the way that that it, I, I liked when directors of documentaries subvert the way that old documentaries have been made and so it subverts like your the way that you think the documentary should be made it's like no this can it can be made to be entertaining it can be made to be whimsical and and fanciful and fun um while also getting its point across Mm -hmm. um so I'm, i'm glad that documentaries i think like in the last decade have been really pushing um the way that they again like have been made in the past this is not to say that i still don't like i still think that hoops dreams is one of the best documentaries ever slash movies ever um but you know like that one's like a straight documentary kind of thing where you focus on uh following people um and then unfolding and unraveling that story as it uh plays and this one is like yay let me i'm i'm a director i'm going to direct this documentary it's truthful in all of the elements of it, but I'm going to visually uh, give it a style that I want to give it, which I admire. For sure. No, it, it does present a unique scenario and it, it works in a way that's darkly comedic, but also hits you in a, in a certain <laughs> way. Um, and it, that reflects a number of my films as far as the kind of the deeper resonance that they have. That's how, it, you know, that's a big, that played a big role in how I've selected my top 10 as far as the way they, hit me on this personal level so i mean mm-hmm. that's why dick johnson was a dead was in there for so long because it's like i there's a lot to like look at as and even in ways where like i don't think some of us are necessarily relating to it directly as far as you know feel experience uh, the, the the stress and difficulties let alone embrace of a parent that's suffering from alzheimer's or like a deteriorating sense of consciousness but i mean there's still just a lot there as far as the kind of familial relationships and how to appreciate life or whatnot in different right. ways. So also I love I loved his character. Just him. Oh yeah, he's yeah. A, like Big Johnson seems like a great, great guy. He's a great guy. He's super relatable. He's he's a guy that you just want you he's just so jolly and so when those bad moments come or when those moments of kind of like, oh this is a rougher moment than I originally thought and he breaks down a little bit. You're just with him, but you're also with him for the joyous stuff, the 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 kind of morbidly comic stuff. You're also you're there. You're you're really invested, I think, through him first and then the direction. Yeah, I mean, like even in some of those morbid dark parts that Aaron yeah. and, and Marcus are mentioning, like I was taken aback. I was like, oh shit! <laughs> like, did they just capture him actually dying on film? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh i like that that they play with the audience in that way well uh, speaking of dick johnson is dead another like soul hit me in like similar ways because it, it deals with you know how how to look at life uh and obviously this one comes from a different you know perspective as far as being an animated film that's ideally meant for all ages but i still think I, mean, I, I dick johnson's dead is I mean, I wouldn't say the kids can just watch this and have a great time, but I mean, there is, it's, it's, it is like, it's like PG 13. Like it's not, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I don't sure. think the movies, it doesn't prison itself off from being, a, a, you know, accessible by, to everybody, but you know, it's a little different. Obviously soul is meant for everybody. Uh, but I think it, 
you know, in addition to like all the stuff you expect from a Pixar film, as far as like the strong voice work, the amazing visuals, uh, the kind of buddy comedy conceit that comes up in almost every single one of them, like that it's attacking certain th- attacking when that it's like addressing certain ideas as far as like how how to live life without trying to give you answers because it's not up to Pixar to tell you what life is. It it finds the way to go that extra mile that I tend to like really enjoy from the best of Pixar, like where it's not just giving me like the prime animated movie that is winning in all kinds of ways. It has that extra bit of message that like hits you in the sweet spot. And that's what soul did. Like it, it, by the time I get to the end of this thing and you have like Jamie Foxx monologuing, it's like, yeah, there was a really interesting journey here that might be like not entirely deep by comparison when it comes to, you know, more heavy adult dramas. But as far as something that's again, meant for a wide audience, it's doing more than it needs to, to kind of be entertaining. And I, I can really appreciate that. And it's also this like story of a black jazz musician and giving you like, look at a look at like his life uh, and the things that make that up. So you get like wonderful sequences uh, like this whole barbershop sequence that we talked about on the podcast. So, like there's just <laughs> a lot there. So it's when I just, I really appreciate it for, you know, a lot of the same ways I appreciate some of the other movies that we're talking about here. Yeah. the OG piano riffs from John Batiste. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I watched it again after it came back from uh, the, the holiday break. And uh, when he's playing that, that riff in, in music class, when he's teaching before he gets uh, the full promotion, mm-hmm. I was like, this is really nice. <laughs> so, uh, great music. Hey, everybody. It's Peter, and here's my top 10 films of 2020. Number 10, I used to go here, starring the incredibly talented Jillian Jacobs and Jermaine Clement, who's also talented. Number nine, The Vast of Night, a, a terrific debut. Number eight, the only documentary on my list, Dick Johnson is Dead. Number seven, The Assistant. Number six, Minari. Number five, uh, Pixar's best film since Coco, Soul. Number four, First Cow, a film that I feel is just going to get better with age. It feels um, somehow timeless to me. Number three, Possessor, uh, Brandon Cronenberg's kind of whacked out body swap film, um, which I think his dad, David, would be uh, pretty impressed. Number two, Palm Springs, which I think is probably, could be the number one movie in the sense that it's a movie that anybody could see. It's on Hulu, uh, very easy access. And number one, Nomad Land, starring Francis McDormand, which does not open nationwide until February of 2021. Um, but all of these, you know, all these were terrific. Speaking of wonderful visuals, uh, Marcus, Possessor Uncut. Um, yeah. It uh, goes the extra mile, does it not? And you guys, are, the you extra guys mile. are calling it Possessor Uncut because it's the uncovered. That's just the name of the movie, right? Yeah. I mean, it's for me, it's kind of half-joking because ne- – not Neon. Yeah, Neon. Neon went, like, out of their way to be like, it's Possessor Uncut. Like, they, yeah. like, really wanted to pronounce the fact that it's uncut, <laughs> which is, like, silly to me, uh, but fine. But yes, Possessor. The movie is Possessor, and it's very graphic. <laughs> it's very graphic. It's 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 in a in in a move in a on a list that has other more gr- war movies on it. This is the most graphic movie on the list. But I really, first of all, Brandon Cronenberg. I was like, it's a Cronenberg. I I kind of weren't walking in blind. I wasn't walking in blind. I knew that there was going to be some kind of body something melding of some kind of whatever now there <laughs> there are some sequences that are kind of 
really intense and the violent sequences are really super violent um there's a lot of blood um there's like kill bill volumes of blood in this um but i just thought that this it was done really well and the story itself is this story that really holds up as far as like like this the the best sci-fi stories that i know are these stories about uh these alternate universes or futuristic whatever and they're really complex on paper but they work visually and they also have these underlying kind of you could you could say this is uh this is a a a a story about a, a police officer that is on his last day and or a gunslinger that is past its prime and 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 goes out there to fight one more battle. This is that story as well. So I, I just really admired all the things that it was doing here with with the with the actual story. And I, I mean, it's directed wonderfully. Yeah, I um I've seen it twice because I got the huh. 4K and it looked I mean, it was nice to see it that way. Right. After watching it on like a press screener where this is a very stylish movie, so it's nice to see it like in the most crisp way possible. Right. And um, it very much impresses on that level. And I, I liked it more the second time I watched it. Okay. Um, I didn't dislike it the first time, but, I, you know, there's just an extra sense of like, oh, yeah, this like really knows what like from a direction and like just cinematography standpoint. It's like, yeah, this movie really knows what to do. Right. Uh, as far as it could have been way complex. I mean, it could have been overly complex to the point where you kind of didn't know what the hell was going on, but it really has a good handle. Uh, yeah, on, I think on... for like for me, like the story is like it's not that it's whatever, but it's just it's in the background by comparison to the mood. Like it's a very big. Okay. It's a mood piece. It is me. a moody but, piece. Yeah. And it's very much about, you know, exploring the the mind in its own way and like the feelings of that not too, i mean in it fittingly they both star andrea riseborough but not too far from like mandy where mandy's plot yeah. is so dissimilar uh or so simplistic but like the mood of that film is really what it's all about there uh this was a little more plot heavy than mandy as mandy's like one thing happens and another guy has to do a thing after that <laughs> but yeah that's a yeah yeah it, it's very, <laughs> it's very bloody would expect um, no less from uh, from a Cronenberg. Real quick, and then we'll move on to the the um, five through one. But the Vast of Night, a we both have that on our list. Same yes. spot. Um, it's great. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, yeah. It's, it's really wonderful. <laughs> All right, I'm here now with the lovely Anna Bosch, and she's going to go over her top ten films of 2020. All right, beginning at ten is Minari, nine Mosul, eight Audrey, seven. Enola Holmes, six, Sonic the Hedgehog, five, The Midnight Sky, four, The Social Dilemma, three, I'm Your Woman, two, Tenet, and at number one, The Vast of Night. And The Vast of Night is my number one film of 2020 because I really enjoy films trying to go into an old-fashioned time and feel and I feel like the strongest element of this film that really stood out for me was the dialogue between the two characters mm -hmm. and how that could sustain the rest of the film. And it could easily, as I was watching it, I was just thinking how it could just work as a radio show from the golden age, not like, you know, The Shadow or, or even like War of the Worlds broadcast, of course. So that definitely stood out to me. And it was just fun to see the quick pacing between the two 
main characters and how they overlap and, you know, made a juxtaposition to even like their own careers. Mm -hmm. And so I think that just overall really stood out for me. And it was just a great film to see last year. So that is my number one. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. What what a great, uh, I think, directorial debut. It's such a well-directed movie that's really stuck out for me the most. Yeah. Just like how much style there is. One of, one of the great winners of the uh, of the 2020. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's do it. Let's let's get to the uh, the uh, the five through one here. This time, this time we're just going to kind of go through a a round robin um, style of uh, revealing our top ten or our, the rest of our top ten. So let's start with uh, Marcus. What is your number five film? Number five is this or Sound of Metal. Sound of Metal. I did not confuse this with the Sound of Music. <laughs> but uh yeah it's called sound of metal um and it's just this profoundly emotional journey that follows this young metal drummer who suddenly loses his hearing um and is told he, he has to stop drumming or he's going to be deaf it's all about preserving his hearing and he's not trying to hear that i think why this really worked for me had a lot to do with the focus on sound mix um they do a spectacular job of really depicting what it's like for to like uh, depicting what it's like for a person who may not hear well or is losing their hearing um by not only having that great sound mix but also uh uh, uh focusing on how deafening the world can truly be there's a lot of these swings back and forth in editing where you're you're hearing kind of muffled speech or speech going in and out and then the next scene is outside and it's just deafening and you're in a normal situation it wouldn't be so deafening because but we've been in this situation where where we're hearing what somebody who's deaf may hear um and it's so startling but i think that all works to kind of to get to kind of bring this tragic uh 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 tale together and when i say this is a tragic tale it's tragic in its happiest moments there's a lot of redemption here but i like this for this a similar reason that i would like uh, a place beyond the pines mm, um something like that um i'm i'm really th- this is kind of like a this will start my 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 picks of downer movies of <laughs> so this this is starts it off uh, rather Aaron, fitting so top five? Yeah. Yeah. it's not in my top five no yeah it, it's not in my top five either but i want to add on and, and essentially say that um the sound design is is excellent in this movie and mm-hmm. i think really what i what I love about the storyline, because I had some problems with the story, which I've talked about, but what I love about it is the the way that you can effectively communicate, and the way that uh, these folks that uh, I mean, they're they're not even disabled; that they, they just have uh, hearing loss, and so it's, it's more of like a, a an inherent thing. Like they're they're born without the ability to hear. Some of them, yeah. Some of them, yes. And then obviously with with our character, um, it's through you know prolonged trauma to his, to his ears but you know just like the the human elements of this story where he's taking the kids on the field trip and they're all just having a good time i mean that that stuff like was really affecting and i really enjoyed it a, a lot so the human touches in this movie really make this movie um stand out to me 
I uh, I completely agree. Uh, I don't want to rehash too much of what we already said on the podcast and what Marcus, you've already gone over. But I mean, walking into this movie, I was like, oh, it's a Riz Ahmed film. I like Riz Ahmed a lot. I'm yeah. looking forward to this. And the premise, while tragic, sounds really interesting to me. But it really is, like you've said, Abe, and you both have said, the sound design really caught me off guard as far as how instrumental it is as far as telling this story. It's not just a you know, a look at it, you know, it's not just a drama, it's a drama that's informed by the actual thing that's plaguing this guy as far as how he's reckoning with something he's losing. Um and like how you know how bad it makes sound, like on purpose, uh, how distracting and noisy and like things that just it is ways to like really get under your skin at times as far as how to put you in the mind of um of Rizomet's character. So no, I, uh, I I really enjoy it. Like it's in my top twenty-five. I think it's in there. Like it's it's a real. I really like the movie. I think it's really good. Uh, Marcus, did you see this twice, or did you just watch it the once? Sound of Metal. I do, I watched it once. Okay. So, I for some reason I remember you saying you didn't. You, you were less responsive to it, or maybe like you thought. No. About it more okay. Time. So uh, there there was another movie that I saw because uh, I was on the the another podcast that I saw that jumped this movie um after i uh i i saw that movie um but i thought this was going to be like my number one or two um when i first saw it um but that other movie jumped in and then i no, no i mean i mean i thought you were i thought you were kind of down on the film but no no no, no. i think that might have been me no. <laughs> i knew you were uh but um, no, it, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter regardless you were like the film i got it yeah and you're fitting your mention fitting your mentioning place beyond the pine since it's like what co written or the story was yeah. co credited to Derek C. in France. So Yeah. It got that's what I was like when I saw his name pop up in the second little role there, I I was like, Oh yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. That that makes sense. Right. But this is this is my the downer movies are my thing. Um <laughs> so, you know, this is <laughs> movies that make you go, oh, Okay. Well, I look forward to hearing the spiral <laughs> down to the bottom for you for the rest of your. I know, yeah. I was like, I wonder, I wonder where it goes from here. Let's jump into that deep dark abyss at number one. Okay. There we Abe, go. what is your number five? My number five is Palm Springs. If there is a movie that encapsulates 2020, it would be Palm Springs because it's a time loop movie. But what I like about this movie is sort of like what I mentioned with an American Pickle. It's Andy Samberg playing a character that is a little bit more subdued. He's still wonky and crazy, but this is a guy who is living the same day over and over and over again. And as it progresses, it really gets into thoughts of what is all this? You know, why do I like should I be just living here or do I need to find purpose in what I'm trying to do? And how do I find purpose? It's probably with meeting people and interacting with them. And I think that at one point I was really saddened by watching the movie, so I had to stop it because it was just really like true to the the COVID slash quarantine slash like shelter in place lifestyle. Whereas like I do miss seeing friends, I, I miss being able to go out on the weekends, um, and I miss interacting with people, um, hugs and high fives kind of thing. Um, but then as as the movie goes along, does the science all make sense? Not necessarily, but at the same time, what's cool about it is that it's not trying to be that kind of movie either. It's not trying to be a primer. It's just more of, hey, we're in this weird time loop, and let's try and, and have these interactions, these human interactions, um, including a great role by J.K. Simmons, who pops up for a few scenes um, and is terrific. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed Palm Springs. I think that there's uh, a lot to like from this movie that was on Hulu. So um, 
pay eight bucks, watch it, cancer subscription. <laughs> Pattern we have. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Palm Springs is great. I mean, and, you know, it's credit as much as Sandberg, it goes to uh, Krista Milati, who's also yes. really yeah. good mm-hmm. in the film. Yeah. Uh, if if not the stronger performance, I mean, she's it's, she's also great in the movie. It's uh, it really what what you're saying exactly as far as, as how it relates to the time, um, but it it's also just really funny. <laughs> like it, it does have a lot of <laughs> good humor to go with it. Um, it just makes it a and just a, just a really great take on a, a like a subgenre of film at this point, given that we have so many time loop movies. So I was mm-hmm. need, to, need to see one that takes it in a a new direction as far as how to approach that kind of storyline. Indeed. Hey, I'm now with Aaron and Abe. It's Brandon P., host of the Brandon Peters Show. Thanks for reaching out to me for my top 10 films of 2020. So let's get to it. Number 10, Freaky. Number 9, Bleeding Audio. It's a documentary you should all check out, directed by Chelsea Christer, about the band The Matches. Who are The Matches? Find out. Number 8, Soul. Number 7, Antibiotics. Bellum. Number six, Nomad Land. Number five, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One, Harley Quinn. Number four, Mank, because my list ain't manking around. Number three, Sound of Metal. Number two, Da Five Bloods. And number one, The Invisible Man. This is the second time in three years Lee Wanell has had the number one spot as he had Upgrade back in 2018, taking it, and now The Invisible Man, which is totally my type of movie. And now, back to you, Aaron. And hey, Abe, clowns. Aaron, what is your number five? My number five is The Personal History of David Copperfield. Oh. I was fully on board of Armando Iannucci's take on this film. It, it's like a different sort of step compared to something like in the loop or the death of Stalin, as far as characters that are, I mean, the like in terms of being over the top, that's very much in the energy's wall ballpark. But as far as the profanity that he's made into like an art form in his other projects, like that's dialed down entirely because this is a PG family movie, essentially. Um, and what he does here is he's still able to, yeah, get this kind of energy out of his characters while adapting, you know, a, <laughs> a very famous novel from Charles Dickens, but he just really he like he finds a way to take what it's also a very long novel. He finds a way to condense that down to this two-hour delight of a film um, that has this like sense of whimsy. It has an imaginative kind of visual style to kind of bring together this movie in the, in the way that it wants to be fanciful yet being kind of a in still you know Dickensian in, in its portrayal of London and what have you. And on top of all that top just being like really entertaining it so effectively uses colorblind casting like it's so like refreshing to watch a movie like this something i already liked about like um death of stalin where you have a bunch of american and english actors that are just using their regular accents accents, in a film about russian characters because it's like who cares i'd rather get great performances based off the comedy timing of these guys and their natural accents than trying to stage it in russian this movie goes a step further where it's like I don't, you know, why have just like a completely white English cast when I can get Dev Patel and Benedict Wong and others to be in this movie and just not have that be a role whatsoever. It doesn't matter who any of these people are in real life. We're just watching them on screen playing these characters. It's like watching theater, essentially, except it's this really wonderfully made movie. And it really works. It works in a way that's satisfying to me (laughs) as far as seeing characters that are just 
coming alive on screen and not having to like reference certain things about who they are. It's just, yeah, this is just the way it is. And they're just really good performances. Like by the time you get to like Tilda Swinton coming out in the movie or like Benedict Wong, like I mentioned, you feel like it's an applause break moment because it's like, yeah, this is great. This is like familiar faces showed up and they're all having a good time. I, I, I've only seen this once so far, but I can't wait to like watch it again. Cause it's, it's so like delightful in its story. And yet it's telling this, like, you know, frankly, a pretty, at times a pretty harsh drama about this kid who becomes an orphan and has to like deal with going from a, high life to a poor life to back to a high life to dealing with like all the you know it's this kind of up and down roller coaster for this guy's life and it's just really well like i was just really into it like i was it's so it was such a especially watching it during this time it felt like something that was like different but even when it comes to period dramas or period comedy dramas it it had a different sense of edge just because of what ianucci was doing so i no, i was just really a big fan of david copperfield I'm glad to hear that. I haven't seen it. I know that it's on it's on demand um, or on on VOD. But um, yeah, I remember that you and I saw the trailer. We talked about it, and I was I was kind of thrilled because I also like Iannucci and I like his style of humor um, and also his uh, his takes on I guess the cultural zeitgeist slash mm-hmm. what's happening um, historically. So I, I would have been thrilled to see it. Yeah, no, I I hope you get a chance to because yeah, it's it's really really worthwhile mm-hmm. all right marcus what is your number four film all right so uh, more downers um <laughs> when i when when so it's it's the devil all the time of course uh, it is a movie that of course it is yeah um because this is so, so when i was when i when i was making my list i said you know i'm trying to find out where to put this on my list because i can't it's not one that i can recommend in the sense where i've recommended it to people and they hated it they said why did you do this to me or and, Please and i go stop, i enjoyed sir. it i i enjoyed it. It, it it to me there's a, an art an art to putting a bunch of people in a box and just pummeling them with, with no and giving me a little hope but i know that they're not it's not gonna end well um so <laughs> The Devil of Time is about is about uh, it's up between World War Two and the Vietnam War, and it's a hillbilly gothic tale about three groups of people and a, a, a war vet and his son, uh, a couple of evangelical preachers, and a couple of serial killers, um, and they seem to be trapped in this like hyper religious area of the Bible Belt. And they just get randomly punished in 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 pretty biblical ways. I think why I and it has one of my favorite uh, honestly it has one of my favorite Robert Pattinson performances. Yeah, um, I mm. think he's really good in this. No matter what everybody says about you know the the, the the mood of the piece or how far they can go with this or any of the other characters' performances, I I, I really loved him um, as kind I, of I, a sleep. I mean, I, I think the, what works about him is he gets the movie he's in very easily, I think. He does. It, he, he's very – I don't know. I'm trying to think of his other performances. I don't know if I've seen him as this this super hateable person. He's he's the villain of the of a movie that consists of serial killers and, <laughs> you know, he's and, – and, and, and preachers that kill. He's the ultimate villain when he just – 
he's he's a preacher that comes into um, the community and basically just with the with the purpose of taking whatever they have. And um, after another group, after uh, the first set of preachers were like snake oil salesmen, but they really believed in what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't believe he's young. He's just taking them for a ride and he's just super hateable. Um, for the stuff he does. So like, you know, there, there, I've, I've heard, I've heard people say, you know, how can you like a movie where everybody is hateable? You know, the devil all the time does it for me. I I don't, it, it, it it really, uh, and you know what, you know what, cause there's movies that everybody's hateable and it just doesn't work. Antonio Campos's, Campos's direction in this he he's taking multiple storylines and and really balancing them very well um and and giving us relentless despair but also giving us a little bit of hope that that i mean for me that i could push forward and go like maybe something's gonna work out maybe but i think that for that that's really good filmmaking he could have just pumped if you just pummel somebody for for two hours it doesn't necessarily work without good filmmaking or good 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 direction good writing good you know whatever um but i I, it just really worked for me but can i recommend it i will recommend it (laughs) i mean i love it's a downer it's a downer it's nihilistic (laughs) it's it's a downer (laughs) it uh i i agree with you that antonio campos definitely made the movie he wanted to make and i mean that's something that that's something that Netflix allows, basically. Um, you know, there's no mainstream studio I think that would today put out a movie like this. Like the last time we got something this close would be like The Counselor, I think, from Ridley Scott. Yeah. Who's one of, who's one of the few? I like. Which I like. Of, that, I'm sure that you made do. A top ten list of mine. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and, and that feels like one of <laughs> that. He feels like one of the few directors that could get away with being like, I want to do this thing, and they're like, Yeah, all right, Ridley, whatever, make another Alien sequel, and we'll call it a day. Um, but. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, Pattinson's great. Like, there's a lot of cast. But I think uh, Bill Skarsgård's quite good in that movie, too. I think he yes. knows what track he's supposed to. I don't think anyone's off the track of what the movie's going for. It just feels like some are more effective than others. Where, like, I think, and I like Tom Holland. I don't think Tom Holland does the best job here by comparison I think to the other He's actors. probably the weakest character. Yeah. And it's because I think it requires him to be in a lot of it and playing more of a straight arrow than some of the right. other characters. So it's right. like... Yeah, I mean you're there, <laughs> but you but you look right. like little Tom Holland, and it's like it's a little weird seeing you here. Right, he seemed like a vehicle to get from one bad person to another bad person. So uh-huh. yeah, right. you're right. Oh, no, it's, it's certainly there's there's plenty of stuff. <laughs> and what's his name? Uh, Dudley Dursey, that guy. He pops up. Oh, in that guy. Yeah, yeah, he he keeps popping up. He has a great Netflix contract. He keeps popping up in things. Or I'm like, yeah. there's there's those ears like, again. The the the, the Harry Potter alum who continue acting now are really good. Oh yeah. No, he's, he's quite, he's been quite prolific. <laughs> he's very good. And he's in, he's in a big slab of this thing too. Yeah. He, and he has bad, he's a vote. He's associated with maybe some of the worst things in this movie, honestly, for me. Very true. Like Robert this Pattinson is... may be like the ultimate, vi- even, I don't know. That's because you said that, but I mean, compared to what other people do in this movie, <laughs> I'm telling you, there there are people that kill people. I mean, the Jason Clark character, he's okay. So I'll make things. I think he's a. This is not saying anything. He does this southern accent that is just beautiful. He always does the southern accent to the point where whenever I hear his his British accent or wherever he's from, mm-hmm. I'm just 
blown out of the water. Oh, J- Jason he's, Clark? Jason Clark. He's Australian, he's, and he's, I believe. Australian, okay. <laughs> he's very good in this, and but he's doing some vile things and physically vile things and 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 way, they're more upfront, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I think what Robert Pattinson is doing, I, I think he's the head bad guy. I don't know. We're arguing. Yeah, but he's bad. Everybody's bad in this movie. There's not a good guy, I, I guess. And even if there is kind of a good guy, he is not a good guy. Uh, well, the movie is called The Devil All the Time. The Devil All the Time. Well, you know, yes. it could be a fun, fun, whimsy movie, right? Yeah, exactly. It's oh, we're having a devil all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, let's have it you all, have, uh, all the time. If you have almost three hours to fill, it's it's a it's another thing. Well, okay. <laughs> well, we've gone down to the darkness a bit, Abe. Let's see if your four, number four is a little lighter. What's your number four? Okay, my number four is maybe a little bit lighter, but it was one that Aaron mentioned earlier. It's it's First Cow. Hey. Uh, and First Cow is a movie that, uh, as I talked about in our, in our review of it, it's a movie that I, I was on pins and needles for because I was waiting for like another shoe to drop in terms of um, the violence to uptick or in terms of you know the story to like quote unquote kick into gear and then take it to another level in which it's um, not as as uh, deliberately paced as it was. And to the movie's credit, it doesn't do that because that's not the movie that it's trying to go for. And at the end of the movie, I was just like, this is a really nice, friendly movie about the um, the uh, the gold rush era and trying to make really nice butter biscuits that are sweet um, and a movie about, so to speak, friendship and how you develop these uh, friendships over time and through meeting people. And you just never know when you're going to find your next friend kind of thing. So First Cow is is up there for me. Yeah, I mean, it's on my list. You know, you know, I yeah. Love my oh, I know cow. that you love it. It's the best cow of the year. I mean, yeah. Do you remember the name of the cow, by the way? Evie. Evie. Yeah, beautiful cow. Um, yeah, first cow's terrific. It um, it was higher <laughs> on my list a little before. Um, but I mean, it doesn't matter. It's still just a fantastic movie. Great movie about like watching, you know, having taking in the the American West once again and like finding your place in it. And form and, and friendship, like the way friendship kind of prospers out here, uh, despite the kind of melancholy mood that it has throughout it. It just it, it, the kind of the, the like odd loyalty that forms between um, uh, Cookie and, and, and King Lou's characters. Uh, just it resonates in a nice way. Where when you get to the ending of this film, it, it it's it's weird to call it sweet, but there's like something there where despite things that take place, there's this kind of like kinship that you just see visualized so well in how they've right. spent time together that it just keeps coming back to me the kind of final image of this movie which i think is really strong yeah i agree yeah that, that's what that's what registered in my mind too whenever i think about this movie is just the way that it um sort of ends like or i guess the the circle that it makes i'm just kidding marcus you're a little chuckling on the side yeah. over there were you not a fan of first were you cow? not a fan of first cow no no I, I mean, <laughs> love cows and the milk that they produce. What do you have against the best cow of the year? I I, Although I, I, I don't know, you you could be vegan now. I'm not sure. There's gotta <laughs> be yeah, exactly. There's gotta be a a, a better cow out there. I, oh, how I love the you? cow. I love the cow. You know, whatever. Okay, I just, yeah. you know what? I it, it's gonna sound super flippant because of all the praise of this movie's got. But I was bored. I the second half was less boring. Um, I think the guy 
got more to the buddy kind of stuff, and I got it. It was uh, Midnight Cowboy or whatever, but uh, I, I it didn't resonate by then. I was kind of checked out a little bit with how the pacing of this movie, and you know, for sure, I know the writer director. I've seen her other movies. The pacing is the pacing, and and I knew what I was getting into, but it just it was just. I could see what was happening and I could see that there was good writing and I could see and I could see it, but it just wasn't moving at all. And it, I just, I couldn't get with it. I really couldn't, but I could, it's not a bad movie. Like you said, you know, you thought it was a great movie. I just wouldn't put it there. I would be like, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's going to be some people that are going to kind of go, this is kind of, not my thing. This is yeah, it, it's no Ava. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> this one was worse than Ava. I um <laughs> I I feel like if yeah. we were to see this in a crowded theater, like uh-huh. like this is one of the last movies I saw before, you know, the world changed. Um, but if we saw this in a crowded theater, I would make a I would make a point to when the when the first cow arrives to stand up and start clapping, just like making a big event, like the cows here, guys, and just like everyone <laughs> start cheering. You'd be so into the movie by that point. And I mean, like the way that it's also presented on the screen is also like, like, what the heck is that thing? Yeah, it's it is. It's it's basically like watching Omar Sharif enter in Lawrence of Arabia. It's like, oh my god, the cow's here, and it's just like, what? What's the happening now? The cow's not even in the movie until thirty minutes in. Yeah, that's that the best kind of movie. How much Beetlejuice you got? You got to wait a long time for Beetlejuice to show up. <laughs> that's true. That's true. The exact example that it needs to reference: Beetlejuice. That's true. <laughs> Don't say it again. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's true. I'm just a downer. I I need I need my movies <laughs> fast and loose. I guess I don't know. I it just didn't get me when I when I saw it. Um, my expectations I guess were really high as they should have been. I, I've heard many praise of this movie. I saw it and I was uh in my own house looking for the exit. So you know, I <laughs> you're I, asking I your wife for a refund on your ticket. Let, yeah, I was like, can we uh, – maybe I need to watch this movie again sometime, and, and you're going to say oh. yes, and I'm not going to do it. Marcus, <laughs> when, it, it, when I was watching the movie as well, it didn't hit me until afterward uh-huh. uh, when I was piecing it all together. And I was like, okay, I, I definitely see what they're going for because, again, there's certain expectations that you might have going into a movie or just like thoughts of, of where you think a movie might go. And then you know, once you, once you are able to decompress and – take a step back from it uh, and analyze it a little bit more. Perhaps you like it more or you feel the same way, but yeah, I hear you. Cause like on the, on the way in, I was like, what is this movie here? Is this all that's going to, okay. Is he going to get caught milking this cow for the third time kind of thing? But so, know. so like we, we mentioned the cow, the milking cow part, which I liked. There was the biscuit part, which I liked all that stuff is kind of like after the first hour. And that first hour is like, oof, oof, that first, First hour wonderful, is, I know. No, oh, it was yeah, okay, wonderful. Yes, uh, the first hour was it, maybe it didn't have enough punching or kicking. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> it, 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 it just wasn't there for me. It really wasn't there for right, me, Marcus. You, um, you know what I say to all this? <laughs> Delusions. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> I also oh wasn't a I was wasn't a huge fan of Soul, so we can I guess get in the <laughs> This is why we have you on, Marcus. We love, we love the the I antithesis. Don't, 
or like the, none of these things. I, I the don't think these are them. bad movies. I just think yeah. when we get to the underwhelming movies, you'll see a few of movies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the movie that underwhelmed Marcus the most, you know, one of like the best reviewed movies of the year. Probably. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, 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 it almost seems like I do this on purpose, you know? <laughs> All right. Here we are with another one of our wonderful guests. We've had many years on the show. Mr. Jimmy O. Oh my gosh, what a what a lovely lovely introduction. I'm very happy. <laughs> happy to have you here, and I, I want to uh, I want to hear what your favorite films of 2020 were. Here is my official list, and I, I you know there are again a lot of great movies. Uh, my number ten film is Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, with a oh, what an incredible performance from Sydney Flanagan. Nine for me is The Trial of Chicago. Seven, wow, that seems relevant. Good job, Aaron Sorkin. Uh, my number eight film is one I'm not seeing on a lot of lists, and it should be. It's Aviva by Boa Jaquin. Uh, number seven is Possessor Uncut. Holy shit, did Brandon Cronenberg just... Wow, what a hell of a movie, man. Six for me is Beastie Boys Story. And I there was a lot of uh, really great musical documentaries this year. Nothing like this one. Uh, number five is Sound of Metal. Holy shit. Did they work with the sound on this one? My number four film is uh, Lee Whannell's The Invisible Man. I, 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 I'm floored by this film. Every time I watch it, I still get a jolt with that restaurant scene. Number three for me is Nomadland. I, just a hauntingly beautiful story. Number two is Love and Monsters. This movie is so I, just a delight. A monster movie, a love story, a buddy film, a dog movie. And Dylan O'Brien, just one of the best performances of the year. And my number one film, Promising Young Woman. I, I honestly this this movie I, I the first time I watched it I I it was jaw dropping to me how how goddamn well made this film was how smart Carrie Mulligan's character is how it just doesn't settle for the typical revenge drama when does a movie with twists and turns shock you every single time you watch it and I one of the best films of the year probably one of my favorite films <laughs> the past few years honestly so that's my list. All right. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome, man. And Aaron, what is, what's your number four? <laughs> thank you. Um, my number four film is David Byrne's American Utopia. Mm. Um, I am cool with Byrne and Talking Heads, but I wouldn't say I'm like a super fan. That said, this stage show that's filmed by Spike Lee, uh, it's just a huge burst of joy, <laughs> like with great messages behind it as well. It is uh, really wonderful. I've watched it a couple of times now because it's just really easy to put on and be like, well, I could listen to Stop, or, um, American Utopia or I could just have it on and watch it again while you know doing whatever. It's it, it's great. It, it It's such a... In addition to like being this show that's wonderfully choreographed and everything and having David Byrne on stage with his multiracial group of performers that are you know dancing and carrying their instruments and doing all that thing... It's neat to see, like, you know, knowing that Spike Lee directed this, you know, this, like, filmed version of it, it's neat to see, like, his choices when it comes to, like, the camera angles and what have you to see, like, how he's letting this show present itself 
and I, I found it to be like just rather impressive. Like it's not surprising necessarily because Spike Lee's very much proven to be a great documentarian in addition to being a filmmaker, but like watching this come to life, it just sounds like a, a, a great combination of talents here. And in addition to that, I think it's, you know, it's a great like musical, like it's a great set. You know, it's a great set uh, songs and soundtrack. And there's a lot of like really fun choreography or whatnot on screen. And there's like a, in addition, in addition to like what it's going for in like what David Burns referencing as far as some satire on America and some information about America and things like that. There's also some societal issue work there that deals with a number of black lives that have, you know, been lost over the years. And that's where you can see, you know, Spike Lee's interest coming out in some way and the way he directs one of the last songs in the film where he directs the sequence around one of the last songs in this film, which is David Byrne covering a Janelle Monáe song. It's really fascinating to watch him get what I, I don't want to like, it's weird to not want to spoil something, but like just watching it and seeing how things play out. It's actually really pretty neat in terms of what he was able to accomplish with it. So it's like, there's a lot there. Um, and uh, it's just, it it's really watchable, but it has its moments of power in it. And yeah, no, I just, I really, really liked uh, American Utopia. I dig it. I don't think that I've heard much about it. So I was looking it up as you're talking here. And um, it's great. It's, it's on great. many lists. Yeah, that's on a lot of lists. Yeah, <laughs> and I agree with everything Aaron just said. Basically, except yeah. it's not downer enough for you. It's not. No. Well, yeah. You know, <laughs> it, <but>, uh, <laughs> it gets there. It gets there. You <laughs> I mean, know. It, 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 I I I walked into it not knowing what it was, other than like that little mini clip that HBO gives. And it looked just bizarre, like this bizarre performance art thing. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to watch this. This is so I recorded it and I didn't watch it until maybe late December. And I was very impressed, very impressed for all basically all the reason Aaron, Aaron just said. Um, yeah, it's worth it's it's so worth it's worth multiple watches. It You know, it was I knew about it, obviously, but like I. <laughs> Again, like I'm not the biggest David Byrne guy. It's, you know, it's not Same. like I don't care. It's just like, it's, you know, it's not like the thing I seek out necessarily. But I saw a clip of it on uh, where he was before he was performed on um, Saturday Night Live when John Mulaney hosted a couple like months ago at this point. And the performance they had was so like just like fun. It was just like seeing like all these guys on stage yeah. doing their and it was like. This looks great. And then when the announcement came that Spike Lee was directing a filmed version of their plays, like, that sounds fantastic. Why would I not be interested in this? And, and then it was like, well, that was wonderful. That was what I did. So that's what I wanted to see. Yeah, so, that's pretty uh, good. That's and, pretty and wonderful. I've, and I've, I've since watched, like, because, you know, they did a lot of press for it, obviously. So I've since watched a bunch of interviews with Spike Lee and David Byrne sitting down talking to each other. And they're just, like, they're really cool, like, guys to watch, like, interact with each other. Like, as far as the the camaraderie they seem to have and like why Spike Lee of all people would take on, you know, the filming of something like this. So it's, uh, it's... right. It, it seemed like a curious choice at first when I had heard, when I mm-hmm. finally watched it and I was like, Oh yeah, I, I remember Spike Lee's directing this and I would, I, I want to know what I'm looking for when I know, but it, it meshed well like it really went well. Like they, I could see them having an interview after this and being like, we're pals. And this is an interesting back and because we have such interesting, like back and forth. I, mm-hmm. I could see that. 
Yeah. All right. Well, let's keep going here. Let's go to our number threes. Marcus, where are we going this time? Oh, geez. Oh, my God. No. Okay. So, <laughs> so uh, the assistant is my number three. And, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So, so it's not. So this is, you know, it's a downer movie as well. Um, not to. <laughs> good thing, uh, good thing it's that not, you warned us. <laughs> This is going to be a spiral into. Uh, I think we'll have one that's not total downer. I mean, but anyway, the assistant. Um, it's basically a, a, a snap. Everybody's calling it like the Weinstein or the the Me Too move, uh, movement uh, movie. Uh, it's about a snapshot of uh, one day in the life of uh, uh, this young female assistant working for this powerful, but he's never seen executive. It's really written and directed in a way that emphasizes this silent suffering that this one employee goes through um, in this abusive work workplace um, in order to amplify the many voices of many women who work in these equally abusive environments in, 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 in life. Um, it also does a really good job of showcasing what a hostile work environment really looks like. It's not always yelling and screaming and in your face and shoving. It's, you know, microaggressions and um, this slow kind of drip of uncomfortable and abusive actions that we see this woman go through and absorb. Um, and it's only one day to uh, – but she does it all to further her career, this, 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 uh, 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 <clears throat> this career as a uh, – uh, I don't know, a bigger assistant or a producer. She wants to be a producer. That's right. Uh-huh. Um, but throughout the day, she does have these kind of moments of maybe I should tell somebody. And then we see what happens when she does tell somebody, um, when she does file some kind of complaint. And it's devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, if you relate to this movie at all, you will be kind of decimated at the end of this. Um, even though it's 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 kind of a silent killer, um, I watched it at the time. My relationship with my, my job personally wasn't great, and I was like, "Wow, this movie really hits on a lot of levels without doing, like, without on the surface doing much. We're just kind of following her around. We're at seeing her answer phones. We're we're kind of in in the midst of her interactions. We don't actually see her boss. We hire him one time on the phone. Um, it does a really good job of structuring how she is in this hostile work environment um, and her thought process about through this day and why she does it. So another downer. Well, yeah. I, mean, I don't know about so much downer, but it's exactly – yes, it is, but also exactly what you're mentioning – I mean, hostile workplaces are – they can be very rampant, especially if you work in like in technology in the Bay Area kind of thing. There's it's a lot of like what you mentioned about microaggressions and passive aggressiveness and everything else, everything that runs a game. A job is a job is a job to anybody, right? So um, I think – I haven't seen this, but I remember watching the trailer and I was like, I don't – I don't – yeah, like it, it's going to feel a peak for the life or something like that. You know what I mean? Where And those movies right. really get under my skin because when they do feel true tr- – too true to life because I've not that I've experienced them firsthand, but I would know of experiences um, from friends or uh, whatever else, like old colleagues, old coworkers, etc. It's like that would be it's a little bit too like um, 
they they would have captured it too well. So I've heard a lot of good things from critics on here. I know that it's gotten sort of mixed reviews. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, the assistant is. So it's is, gotten great reviews. It got review bombed by people on like that use Rotten Tomatoes for their audience score or whatnot. We gotta we gotta kill the audience score. That's There's the no kind of movie that gets that that audience <laughs> yeah. score. Yeah. All that being so, like, I think the movie I. I don't dislike the movie. I feel like, but I don't have a reaction like you do to First Cow. It's just more of like, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> like as far yeah. as the the situation being presented, it's like it, it's not exactly casting a new light for me. But I do, you know, the appreciate the the performances are appreciated and like it's filmed well enough. It's just like, yeah, this is like, it's just it's frustrating to watch a story like this knowing that it's like, yep, this is these are things that happen. Right. Like, right. I I don't have much else to take away from it in that, and that's what yeah. ultimately kind of doesn't like make it resonate as much for me it's like i just don't have much that can really bring to it beyond yeah i think i think technically it does a great job of showing you so because i mean it basically takes place in two rooms essentially or maybe two or three rooms yeah um and it doesn't show you the big boss who Mm -hmm. is this kind of daunting everybody talks about him and he's this kind of uh he says he's this weinstein-esque guy um that's just abusive to women starlets um his assistants um just whatever you know i think it does a really good job of of doing that capturing everything and not particularly having to show anything just like a good horror movie might and for me that's what kind of this was it was just a horror movie but but it's well made. It's technically one of those movies I would recommend that everybody see, um, and it it will resonate with a lot of people, especially now um, with companies doing what they're doing during the pandemic. I, I think it it really um, it really hit it really hit for me. All right, I'm now here with uh, Mark Paces, and he's going to run down his top ten films of 2020. Thank you. All right, so my top 10 of 2020 is number 10, Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. Number 9, The King of Staten Island. Number 8, Minari. Number 7, Bad Boys for Life. Number 6, The Prom. Number 5, Mank. Number 4, Birds of Prey. Number 3, Nomadland. Number 2, Soul. And finally, at number one, we have Promising Young Woman. And this movie is incredibly intelligent. It's captivating, funny, and most importantly, it's relevant to what's been going on in society for the past couple of years. It kind of reminds me of Parasite with the way that the movie stays one step ahead of you and delivering some satisfying surprises around every corner. And that's pretty much why it's one of my favorite films from last year. Great. Well, thank you very much, Mark. Thank you. Well, this gets fun now because I have an idea of what's coming up for Abe, for at Uh-oh. least one of these, but I'm not sure what else to expect. So, Abe, what's your number three film? My number three movie is I'm Thinking of Ending Things. All right. Um, okay. Oh, uh, and, it's, you know, to, to be in uh, in alignment with, with Marcus and his uh, dark, depressing movies here uh i'm thinking of anything this is a movie by charlie kaufman that we talked about um that was released on netflix and what i really like about this is that it has a lot of great nuance to it 
right? A lot of great nuance in the production design, the writing, the characters, um, the references that they're making, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it's well acted. You know, there, there's all these elements to it that really make it stand out to me. And while it might not be for everybody because it might be a little bit convoluted, um, it might be difficult to follow at times, it might be like weird and wacky and sometimes even scary. Um, ultimately, it's it's kind of like a, a fascinating tale about how like the way that I view it of a director trying to put everything on the screen that he or she is thinking about. And look what you can make. You know what I mean? Like, look how free you are when you're making movies that you're just like, let me make something. Let me adapt something, even though it's like weird and wacky. I want to really try my best at, at trying to make this and, and put it on the screen. And Charlie Kaufman is a person that, yes, he does do these things, um, including having like twin brothers for Nicolas Cage or um, uh, everybody being John Malkovich at, at uh, in being John Malkovich. But, you know, I, I like that that sort of some would call a leap um, in directing and taking chances and making things that might not be for everybody. And yet, um, if you watch it, you're just like, yeah, I, I, I got something out of it and I also appreciated it. Yeah, didn't make my top 10, but is in my honorable mentions. I really I've. It's one of the movies I've watched the most because of how much I seemed to like got out of it and like how much I wanted to like re-examine it. And the fact that it's on Netflix made it just really easy to do that. So it's like, yeah, there's there's so many like weird ins and outs of what's trying to be explained by Charlie Kaufman as far as what his psyche is telling him and what he's wanting to get out of these performances or whatever mm-hmm. that I just I thought was really uh, quite valuable as far as a kind of cinematic uh, display of all his oddity that he likes to put onto right. his movies i think the thing is also like whenever i watch a performance from an actor and i'm like i want to see more of them i think it's great so i'm just like, show me more of jesse buckley um because I, I can't wait to see what she does next i think she's on fargo season four she was on this recent season of fargo yeah she's yeah. in a couple of, she's i mean she broke out of this movie beast a couple years ago that's really good yes and that's right it's where she's, she's like a border sniffing troll or something like that right no that's a different movie you're thinking of oh what am i yeah that one's called that one's called well that one's called border border um, okay yeah <laughs> but I was, it's a scottish film because he's a scottish guy and it uh but but yeah there's been like more roles since then including yeah. like ones like this and there's like some other announcements i forgot but um are coming as well and then yeah you obviously have um landry himself uh, yeah. Jesse Clemens doing his job. <laughs> Who would have thought that you know, out of out of all the the cast, that Landry would be the one that have have a I guess a, a longer film he was career. He's good in the show. Yeah, he is. He's good in the show. But yeah, but I, it, you I, know, I, looking at his role since then, it's like this guy's just only grown up. Where it's yeah, like Taylor he, Kitsch he, is like, just like, where's back, was, like wow. yeah. But meanwhile, it's like where's Taylor Kitsch now? And you know, he's likable, but it's like where's you know, he's Disney, not having that career. John Carter. Disney killed Potters. him. He's Disney did it right so yeah number three i'm thinking many things does this make anybody else's list not yours aaron but marcus well, I, I, if i if i'm reading this right i feel like marcus is not a fan of this movie I, no listen no. okay 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 so i'm gonna I, I there's movies on here that I, that i can criticize that i didn't like but i can appreciate their uh, artistic value or their what they were saying and it just wasn't for me or whatever right okay uh, i hated this movie i i thought i felt like charlie kaufman sometimes hates people and he says, well, um, if you're not along for the ride and you're willing to watch this because you think I'm going to tell you something, th- th- do it um, because I'm just going to 
put you through the ringer and I don't like you. At the end of the day, I hate you. So I think if you liked this movie and you got something out of it, for sure you got it mm-hmm. and you're on page with Charlie and it's a really kind of niche look at all of his thoughts coming out at once. And there's something technically, I think, to be said for that. I think there's value in technis- technically. There was things that were happening technically that I'm like, oh, yeah, Charlie Kaufman, yes. But at the, by the time – okay, so by the time there was, there's a dance sequence, 30 minutes before that, I felt like Charlie hated me. I felt like I was in a car <laughs> with Charlie, and I had done something wrong. And I was just in this car, and I couldn't go anywhere. And I know I could turn the movie off, but – I just felt like he just was like, well, when we get to the end of this ride, I'm going to show you something, Charlie Kaufman. Like, I'm going to show you something, you know, whatever that you really liked from adaptation or whatever. I don't know what I was expecting, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I just never got it. And then I kept watching and then I kept watching. And I, at the end of this movie, he, it was like, wow, I felt like he was laughing at me. Like Abe said, this feels like a movie you just didn't vibe with, and I get I, that. I <laughs> did it. So, so, so me. It's not that he's not. I don't think he's actively do putting stuff in there just for that. I think there's a few things maybe that I thought there there was, um, but I think it just doesn't really. All of his stuff that he's piling in there just didn't really resonate at all. And then it's just more of it. And then we're long car rides, and then we're in a ballet, and then where i don't know i think there's a pig or yeah, yeah, something but, in but, there but marcus and, the performances are great <laughs> see this is what i'm saying that i i didn't like it so much that i bypassed the performance because right. the performances are great and the visuals are stunning there there's there's scene sequences that are that i i was just kind of done with where i could say wow that snow looks fantastic i i i don't think that they're in the snow right now but that's snow looks fantastic and and those sequences where people are aging within walking from room to room they look great it's just geez i i felt put through the ringer but the, yeah. and not to i guess i'm bashing on this one too, <laughs> I mean, you're only bashing on all the movies that we like but, uh, <laughs> i mean i'm just i'm just, I'm just gonna say one movie aaron i i need I, to I'm just gonna say that any movie that has a Robert Zemeckis joke that's this good does not deserve to be trashed. <laughs> All right, I'm here with Mike Dillon, who has his top ten films of 2020. Mike, uh, why don't you uh, let us hear what you got to say? All right, number ten, True Mothers. This is from Japan. Uh, number nine is The Wolf House, which is a 2018 film, animated film from Chile, but uh, finally got its distribution this year, this past year rather. Number eight, from Netflix, The 40-Year-Old Version. Number seven, Shaun the Sheep, Farmageddon, from the UK. Number six, I tied it between uh, Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always, and St. Francis. Hmm. Number five, Small Axe, Lover's Rock, uh, which I am counting as a feature film, I suppose. Number four, First Cow, Cow Beats Sheep, in my list. (laughs) Number three, Nomadland. Number two, a very delightful Irish horror comedy called Extraordinary. That's two words, Extraordinary. And number one, Atlantis, which is from the Ukraine. All right. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you. Uh, let's get to mine so we can keep moving here. Yeah, <laughs> my, yeah. number, my number three is Mank. 
Oh, uh, it totally makes. Yeah. I have a feeling that we're going to talk more about this movie soon enough, so I'm not going to go too far into it, but I think David No, Fincher... please do. Please do. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think David I, Fincher... I will say my number two is Mank. Okay. Well, let's just, okay. Well, let's just talk about it now. Um, but I, I think David Fincher is one of the best working filmmakers, and so I was very excited to see a new David Fincher movie finally after six years, even though he's been doing plenty of TV stuff. Uh, and it just delivered on all fronts for me. I think it's got a wonderful sense of style. It really knows how to kind of dig into the golden age of cinema the way it wants to, which is not just a kind of matter of praising the things that were going on as far as the films and the times for what they were as far as exploring new ways to do cinema or what have you, but also just getting into the nitty-gritty of the politics. This mm-hmm. movie is so much more than just a look at where Citizen came from came from from a cinematic perspective it was looking at where it came from in terms of what was influencing herman mankiewicz at the time as far as why he decided to write about well about <laughs> about um hirsch but uh hearst but hearst. through this you know other lens like what what is it that drove him to like dig into this and make this like basically scathing critique of one of the most powerful people in uh, California, let alone the country at the time. Right. It's it's a it's a giant troll <laughs> as far as like doing right. that and being like, and we're gonna make a movie about it, and it's gonna be one of the best movies of all time. Like that's crazy. <laughs> and yet this is a movie that's like, let's dig into that. <laughs> let's dig into that more. Right. And I I really appreciated what it did. I thought the you know the filmmaking was excellent as I expected. Um, and I've already I've seen some like behind the scenes stuff that goes into the visual effects, and as mm-hmm. expected, it's really elaborate despite you not realizing it because. Fincher is very good at that yeah. but the script is really great too like there's just so much great dialogue in this movie when it comes to like Gary Oldman just basically palling around sets and stuff and talking with people including Amanda Seyfried who does a great job as Marion Davies like there's just a lot of really good like chunks of people talking and having a great time or having uh, being at odds of each other over uh, political views or what have you that just really hit in the right way so I, yeah. I was huge on Mank yeah everything that you said there um and David Fincher's master craftsman uh, as well. So even if there are some things that maybe people didn't really like, you would know that it's coming from a place in which he has put a lot of thought and care into. Um, I think the other element to this that I really enjoyed is its cultural or its its writing significance in yes the political times of today, but then also of Hollywood in itself. You know what I mean? Like there's. David Fincher is known to be somewhat of a contrarian to some degree. Um, he likes to make movies that are super long and, and kind of like are sort of out of the box, but he also doesn't like the Hollywood machine as much. Um, and yet here he is like making this movie about to some degree, the Hollywood machine and, and how it's, it's purpose is all fake and ridiculous anyway. Um, and how everybody there can be construed as, uh, whatever they want to be because, um, uh, they are perceived as X, Y, or Z. And I'm, I guess I'm more specifically talking about um, uh, what's-his-face, um, MGM guy, um, Arliss Howard oh, as uh, Louis yeah. Mayer. Yes. Um, and, and how it's like, yeah, you know, when you're trying to get these jobs here, just do this. And I love the the example that I think about all the time is is when they're pitching a movie to one of the producers and they have nothing but except these loose ideas and they just go round Robin and it becomes a movie about like, uh, Oh, well, you know, it's director proof because it's, it's a movie about religion and finding God at the end of it. And I was like, this is such whack bullshit. And yet it's true. That's how some movies will be pitched and that's how they'll be made. But yeah, I, I really like this movie a, a lot as well. 
I hated it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It didn't make my top ten, but it's going to be an honorable mention. Um, <laughs> it's the dialogue that did it for me, honestly, the conversations that yeah. Aaron touched on. Um, they're just really rich and mm-hmm. fun to listen to. I, I, I was kind of – I don't know that I was dreading, but I was like, okay – what are we going to get here with, with this? But I was getting, I was, I was on it for the dialogue and I knew going in, you know, David Fincher, what he's going to give you visually. But uh, yeah, the the script is fantastic. It's just good. So yeah. Echo what you guys said. Another great sound design movie too, by the way, it really tries to evoke the period and it does so by giving it this like tin canny echoey kind of effect by design, which I found to be it's it's weird to find that fascinating, but it's like it is fascinating to be like he wants to homage this era of Hollywood, specifically right. Citizen Kane. It's like how do I accomplish that? Yeah. And he finds a way to do it. Like it's, it really it's, does. it's really great. I mean, we, we, we talked about it in the review as well, but there's like a lot of um, technical things that he does to the movie too, including like fading in and out of the lights, and then also cigarette burns um, in the the right hand corners from the editors and whatever else like. Everything there's there's just so much detail in the way that this movie is made about a movie about making movies um, that it's just like this is such a Fincher thing. And I'm so glad that he took the time out from like Mindhunter and other Netflix projects to be like, hey, Hollywood, one, fuck you. And also I can still be I'm still one of like, the best players <laughs> in Hollywood. You know what I mean? So it's like what mm-hmm. a flex by David Fincher. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey everybody, Jim Dietz here from the TaylorNetworkPodcast.com on the Nothing's On podcast and the Players Club. And on the BrandonPetersShow.com, I've been on the old Space Show. We've been watching Space 1999. Thanks to Aaron and Abe for letting me drop my top ten. Uh, number ten is The Gentleman, Guy Ritchie. Uh, number nine, The Personal History of David Copperfield. It was such a surprise to me to see that movie. It just came out of the blue for me and it just really was a pleasant surprise. Uh, number eight, The Vast of Night, which reminded me very much of old school Twilight Zone, which is one of my favorite things in the universe, so loved it. Uh, seven was Mank. I'm a big Wells fan. I really enjoyed this. Whether it's a true story or not really doesn't matter. The movie is incredible. Uh, number six is First Cow, uh, a slower paced, very almost poetic film. I love the way it looks. Cinematography was beautiful. Uh, number five, The Beastie Boys Story. I'm a huge fan of The Beasties, so it's a no-brainer there. Number four, To Five Bloods. Please give Delroy Lindo an Oscar. He totally deserves it. Number three, Soul. Loved Soul. Uh, I run hot and cold in Pixar. This one blew me away. It's probably my favorite Pixar movie since The Incredibles, and that's saying something. Uh, number two is Hamilton. I'm really not a musical guy, but uh, I really enjoyed Hamilton quite a bit. I really, uh, the energy, the performances, and I, I really respect the determination of someone uh, to make a hip-hop musical based on Alexander Hamilton and to f- uh, succeed so spectacularly. I gotta admire that hustle. And number one is uh, Nomad Nomadland. The performances are very subtle and very, very uh, uh, well done. Frances McDormand is just incredible, as always. Just the way this film looks and feels, it's just beautiful and really affected me. So Nomadland is my pick for number one. Thanks again, guys, uh, and happy 2021. With that in mind, Marcus, what is your number two movie? My number two movie is... That's kind of uplifting a little bit. Uh, it's it's uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I think it's... Dang it, Air! We're off my butt! Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Last week we were like, we mentioned that Marcus's number one is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I, I, you know, when I, when, when, if I wouldn't have rewatched a couple of other movies, then, 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 then this would have been my number one. But, mm-hmm. um, 
it's the August Wilson, obviously adapted from August Wilson play, um, set in 1920s Chicago, Ma Rainey, in a recording session with her band. Um, I think why this works, and I had I had mentioned it in 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 uh, on the on a, a podcast for you guys, that it's really less of a film about uh, Ma Rainey herself, um, and it's more of a film about black trauma as a whole it reminded me of a raisin in the sun um where you have this really claustrophobic environment and we're just made to witness generations of black uh, a struggle and in, 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 in one day and uh, while there's this white kind of overshadow that is taking constantly while they're trying to figure things out also, it's, it has that fantastic performance by Chad Bozeman, who I think is, is I would arguably the best performance of the year. What is you? I don't see your name in lights. Oh, I just play the piece, whatever they want. I don't criticize other people's music. I ain't like you, color. I got talent. Oh, Me and no. this horn, we tight. If my daddy had a note I was going to turn out like this, he would have named me Gabriel. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to get me a band and make me some records. I done give Mr. Stutterman some of my songs I wrote, and he said he going to let me record them when I get my band together. I just got to finish the last part of this song. I got style. Oh, everybody got style. Style ain't nothing but keeping the same idea from beginning to end. Everybody got it. Everybody can't play like I do. And also Viola Davis, who's fantastic here, too. And uh, I just I, I just really think it hit hard. Uh, I at first I, I wasn't uh, super hot on the, uh, the direction because I, I was like, OK, maybe I was super overwhelmed with uh, 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 the performance and the, the, the dialogue, which is just strong. But uh, Aaron opened me up to to the direction as well. And uh, I thought about it and the direction is spot on as well. So it really just works as a entire piece um as uh, and, and i know that plays are sometimes translated very poorly and this is just beautiful yeah i i mean i'm not disagreeing here i it's 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 higher up in my you know the the other numbers of my list but i mean it's still a fantastic movie uh that's very very watchable i mean is is dramatic as some of these august wilson works can be what i really think what, what you know really works is the, the kind of the crackerjack dialogue here the real the way yeah. it just fires off if these characters gives them either great back and forth or wonderful monologues to get into and yes the themes can be heavy like you're talking about as far as what's going on with these characters specifically with some of these characters but it just come it just feels like it's alive which is yeah. a, a great way to see a script especially one that's you know a, a stage performance because Yes, you could get boxed in literally by the parameters of movies such as this, or Fences, or other, or other, you know, other movies that are based off. Play, like we'll talk about One Night in Miami next week. I mean, there's you know movies like that that'll obviously have a certain kind of feel or rhythm. But honestly, that's you know, it's no different than any other stylistic take on a film. As far as like you know the confines you set for yourself, this one just happens to be in the realm of there's only so many locations you can visit. But the direction is key here because as much as I can mention how it's stagey perhaps it does you know there are so many choices being made by the director to make this thing work and i think it really does a great job of accomplishing that you have a great sense of the different layers of this recording studio that they're in as far as the depths versus the top and 
there's you know so many other choices as far as the color the costumes like you know how you're showing these things how you're showing the reactions people have the emotions of the scene that you know the fact that it's you know based off a play and has only so many applications to go doesn't feel like a detriment to the film when it has so many other choices being made to you know show you the power of these scenes so i I was i was a big fan of of this one for sure Mm -hmm. i was I was excited for it because I'm just excited to see August Wilson plays being adapted this way anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was, I'm very happy that, you know, Denzel, who's, you know, a producer on this film, even if he's not directing these things, uh, he's still like finding, you know, the right people to just put it in their hands and right. let them run with it and do a great job. And of course, great acting. I mean, right. stop across the yeah, board. Say, like whenever there's not even a notion, but when there's like a guarantee that you're going to get great acting, like that can carry a lot. So. Right. Okay, I'm now here with Scott Mendelson, and he's going to go through his top 10 films of 2020. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to participate in these. Coming in at number 10, and then I'll go downward. I won't do every number, don't worry. Coming in at number 10, Bad Boys for Life. Coming in at number 9, which I just said I wasn't going to do. The Sound of Metal. Nomadland. The Nest. Palm Springs. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. I hope I got the order right, because I always have to look it up. Bad Education. Birds of Prey. The Five Bloods. And my favorite film of the year, uh, The Invisible Man, which was one of the last films that we all saw in theaters before everything happened. Um, Sad to say, my last pre-lockdown movie was like a lot of people bloodshot but uh yeah terrific thriller uh a strong piece of using ip as a cushion to tell an interesting and of the moment story and doing something that hadn't been done in a lot of the classic monster movies for a while which is making the title character the villain instead of the vaguely sympathetic protagonist um, it makes me very interested to see what Universal is going to do next with their classic monsters. All right. Well, thank you very much, Scott. Thank you. Well, you guys already know my number two. So should we just dig into the number ones? Uh, well, no, I'll, just, I'll just go to my number two. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, my number two film is The Five Bloods. Um, so I have both Spike oh, Lee films wow. from this year on my list. I wouldn't have thought that was number one, to be honest. But. Well, you're not wrong as far as the first like eight months of this year. Like I had it there. <laughs> like it was, I, I had to five bloods, and I was like, I don't. What else is gonna like get past this at this point? Mm-hmm. Marcus must be wondering what's gonna go on my number one right now because it's like, <laughs> yes, well, I'm very there's, curious. There, there's something here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> again, I thought it was gonna be one of these couple of things, maybe. But, yeah. uh, um, but no, to five. To, we'll talk about it. But to five bloods. No, yeah, it. <laughs> It's it's Spike Lee at like the top of his power at this point, just getting a chance to put it all out there because he's already you know he's been his two his 2010s were great honestly he's had a he's had a terrific run mm-hmm. um, it might have started a little low with um, Red Hook Summer but after that you got Chirac which I think is great and underrated at this point you had Black Klansman yeah you have you have this go you had uh, the American Utopia going I mean he he's doing a lot right now with, with his co-writer, Kevin Wilmot, as far as putting these things together. Um, and I, I just, I'm really happy to see him having, you know, slightly bigger budgets to work with. So he can really realize what he wants to like put on screen and how he wants to like get into the messages he wants to get into on top of that. 
as you mentioned, Dave, it also is like a fun, like gold hunt story for like the first half in a way where you get to see these characters masterfully played by most of them, including Delroy Lindo, especially yeah. like getting them to relate to each other, and whatnot, while they're on this somewhat exaggerated treasure hunt that they're going after. Like it's, it's neat to like see that play. I mean, you want to talk like Mark is, you want to talk like first cow having an hour of stuff before anything happens. Right. This movie kind of does that too. Like there's a lot of plot as far as, these are the, you know, this is the setup for what's going on and this is what's happening or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But it's not so like the second half where you really delve into like what is driving a lot of this. The first half is just like, let's just have fun with these guys for a while. And I enjoyed that. And it looks great. Like it has this like changing aspect ratio thing where like the flashbacks are four by three and like before they get to um, into like the jungles of Vietnam, it's a little, it's slightly large, it's slightly um, smaller, but then it expands when they do get like it's just. He's Lee's getting a chance to really play with the you know different cameras and different ideas as far as how he wants to shoot things now, and it's like it's exciting to watch him being able to embrace having more means afforded to him um, after a little bit of you know being a little more indie for a bit in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. It's like this just works, and then, then yeah, you have I mentioned Orlando the other point like you have these great performances, you have. Mm-hmm. This war story that's telling it from a black perspective, which you really don't get very often, and it just delivers. It it yeah. it and by the end of this thing, um, it has like powerful stuff going on. You have people that aren't making it out of this film, and it makes me feel bad about that. You have people that do make it out of this film, and you have you get to an end point where there are a variety of things being communicated on screen um, that are related to both the characters and events of today, literally. And it's powerful. It hits you in a way, for me, it's, at least, that, you know, fil- films that feel special are able to accomplish. And this one feels special in that way. So, no, I was, I've been huge on yeah. Defy Bloods since, you know, seeing it. And <laughs> up until the end of the year, like, yeah, it's it's it still, you know, resonates exactly. I'm excited to watch it again. And it's like yeah. two hours and 40 minutes or whatever. Like, yeah. it's a long movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned it, too. Like, it starts off fun and, and light, and then it gets into, like, Heart of Darkness, Apocalypse Now, mm-hmm. Treasure of the Sierra Madre type territory. Uh-huh. Um, and then the performances, you keep track with it, too. And that's what makes it so compelling. It's just like, Delroy Lindo's fucking killing it here. I see ghosts, y'all. I see ghosts. What happens uh, to all of us, man? Have you seen them too? Yeah. Huh. They had come to you at night. Huh. Storm and Nam comes to me down there every night. Now he talked to you like he talked to me. Come on. Come I don't on. think so. Come on. Fist up. Get in there, David. Get in there. Put your fist up, David. Come on. Go, you too, Van. Go ahead. Fist up, man. Come on, Paul. Yeah. Um, and then you get this. Really... It's the best performance of the year, honestly. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot I can look into. I mean, but like, yeah. It just I, sticks out to me. Chadwick Boseman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom kind of performance. And in this movie, too. honestly, yeah, like, he's good yeah, here exactly. too. <laughs> but then I was gonna say, like, to add on to that, like, you get all these great performances, and then there's like this cutting scene, just like with beautiful cinematography of Chadwick Boseman toward the end, and like it's just, like, I don't know if Spike Lee knew of anything of Chadwick's health, but it's like one of the most like touching mm-hmm. and like now relevant scenes in which I can see Chadwick Boseman, you know what I mean? With his passing. And she's like, what the, like, this is so deep beyond measure at this point. So, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I agree. I mean, agreed. Uh, uh, 
Spike is is doing his thing. Marcus, he's he, he's he, <laughs> what? What do you? Is it, it, I mean, if we're gonna go, oh, it was my number one film. Yeah, <laughs> it was my number one film. I think I think oh. it's hard for me to as far as like rate Spike Lee movies as far as like a top five. Like, mm-hmm. oh, these are my top five because they're all kind of interchange. I think Malcolm X is amazing, and I think uh, 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 Bamboozled to me is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one really is spike doing what he does best on a historical level he's telling stories about the forgotten casualties of war he's making it relatable he's displaying a a a uh uh like a cornucopia of black people um black thoughts and also He's doing the same thing for uh, Vietnamese. They, they mm-hmm. are uh, um, this character that he really, really, really takes care with. These these Vietnamese characters that are in this movie. Um, there's a there's a character that is a, basically a guide. There's a character that is um, an old lover, and um, these characters are really, really um, handled just as lovingly as the black characters. They're put on the same level as the black characters, which is to say these are two uh, cultures that were used in this in this war, um, just pointless war. I think it's great filmmaking. Uh, we talked about the aspect ratio. Um, I think it's a companion piece to Apocalypse Now. Um, it's so Black Lives Matter that I just was cheering. Um, I've seen it three times. Wow. Um, you mentioned it's it's two it's two hours and forty something minutes. It's it's just so good. Delroy Lindo is fantastic. He 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 plays a character those those characters that are just complex and while while I may not be on the same political uh, 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 level as them or in the political realm as them, he's a Trumpster. Um, he's, he's got a, a lot of trauma, hate, all that stuff. He, he makes these people so relatable. Like we've seen this guy before. We've seen, we know what this guy looks like. Even in the black community, I know what this guy looks like. I know I've seen him and I've talked to him before. Um, that's what Spike does so well. And he's putting in clips and he's, he's making everything, uh, 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 really, uh, uh authentic as far as like, this is how it really was. Let me tell you what you learned. This is how it really was. And that's what Spike Lee does. He does and he, he's just doing it. He's doing it at 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 a at a at a quick clip that's still two and a, two hours and forty minutes long. It really is fascinating that he chose to go the direction he goes with Del Rey Lindo's character because right. it's one thing to like have you know it's one thing for Spike to have very clear thoughts on, you know, the situation of today. Right. It's another thing for him to be like, well, let me examine that. Let me take that right. a step further. Let me, let me, tr- and not like necessarily like relate. Well, yeah, I mean, he is relating He's, in a sense. Yeah. Like he, it's like, let me, let me put that on the page and, and, and like in my writing, explore and him and Kevin will like explore what that would be if we had a character like this and what that thought process is and not necessarily go out of your way to put it down, but to, Find, find this person's struggle and right, show right. what that means and that it, it take in given that the you know the premise of this film it takes it to such a great like where it goes with this like it 
in the monologue he gives in the jungle, you, you just you get everything there. Right. And it's and it's just really effective. Yeah. Yeah. Kudos, kudos and shout out again to uh, Marcus, your point about the, the Vietnamese point of view in this movie as well. Um, yeah. There's like, again, we, we talked about this. This is like an onion. There's a lot of layers and there's a lot to unpack. And that's what makes it a terrific, tremendous movie. Um, it's not just like friends that go into the jungle and, and some don't leave. There's just so many things about this. Like, um, and honestly, like the bastardization to use that term, not lightly, that's really what happened to some of these kids that were born in Vietnam with like no fathers. That's a real thing. Like there are books written about, the the uh the children that are mixed race that are abandoned by the vietnamese culture because they have these fathers that are african-american or white or whatever um and then not on that but i mean there's even one scene in the movie where um these boat folks are like trying to sell them some stuff these vendors and then they get mad at the soldiers are like you guys fucked over our country and they were speaking they're yelling at them in vietnamese and it's just like yeah there's like a lot of stuff here there's a lot of trauma still um, and I'm glad that that Spike Lee and and the other writer don't don't shy away from it. I I, I love that about Spike. Um, a lot of times where you know I think on face value some of his movies you could say he takes its uh, specific role uh, or a specific uh, point of view, um, and he's choosing sides. But in his best movies, he's really trying to put every aspect out there. Yeah. And he you know I really commend that um and we saw it here i'm telling you yeah it's just filled it's rich with with content just rich with content well with that abe let's get to your number one film of the year Ooh, my number one film of the year is asterisk uh, it's actually a hillbilly elegy um, <laughs> shut up <laughs> is it really no. please say it is <laughs> Marcus would have, would love nothing more than for it to be a Billy Elegy and be like, Ron Howard is a genius. Um, it's it's a movie that I haven't seen yet, um, and so it's yet to be determined. That's my number one movie of the year. Okay. Is that – wait a minute. It, it's just because there, there's actually some movies that I haven't seen, and I feel as though they're probably going to tip it. Um, May could be number one, you know, after after I watch uh, Minari or I watch Nomadland um, or Wolfwalkers for that matter. Um, so yeah, could, uh, there's, there's just some openness there. So, um, I, I kind of left it open. I'm kind of cheating this week. Can you watch Ava first? Yes, I will. <laughs> so <whatever. laughs> if I watch Ava first and I just love it, I'm just going to Venmo you. to number like, one. Yeah. I'll Venmo you like five bucks and be like, here, okay. go, go buy a copy on me. <laughs> Hello out now listeners. My name is Alan, and I'm chiming in with my top five of 2020. Number five is Bill and Ted Face the Music. It is a funny, good-natured, silly, and at times adorable uh, legacy sequel to some great late 80s, early 90s flicks. Number four is Nomadland. Uh, I was on the podcast discussing this with Aaron and Abe a few weeks ago, and I've only grown to enjoy it much more in my mind, so I'm a big, big fan. It's a quiet... It's a good journeyman film. It has sadness at times, but also shows how liberating it is to be a nomad and just kind of live and do your thing. But uh, Francis McDormand gives a great performance. Number three is The Sound of Metal. It is, um, I'll just leave it at that. It is Riz Ahmed's best, career best performance. Haven't stopped thinking about it. It's a very, very good film. Number two is Pixar's Soul. 
Um, it is sweet. It's gorgeous. The animation is gorgeous. It's pretty clever with how they kind of use a few of the things. Thoughtful. Uh, number one is going to be Promising Young Woman. I think this needs to be required viewing for all men going forward. But this movie is dark. It is funny. It is frustrating. It has great comedic actors doing some real dastardly things. It is it is a good time. Well, it's not a good time with the movie because I'm really frustrated, but it was a good movie. And I think it's the best movie that's come out in 2020. All right. Thanks, guys. Hope to uh, get more movies in, in 2002, uh, 2021. Thanks. Bye. Uh, so with that, Aaron, what is your number one movie of the year? Uh, my number one is Steve McQueen's Small Axe, okay. the entire project. I We've talked about this at length last week on last week's podcast, but see, it's an incredible and ambitious project. Um, the five stories here, all concerning the West Indian immigrant community from the 1960s and 70s in London, was an amazing thing to watch, uh, a great thing to think about, to discuss, and to continue thinking about. Um, the various bits of news that keep showing up shows how relevant the story continues to be not hurting at all. Or the fact that there is amazing performances and filming filmmaking on display in all five parts of this thing. I, I, the idea that Steve McQueen not only came out and delivered another like new film, but like five distinct stories and they're all like varying shades of terrific, um, is just in one year is just incredibly impressive um, on all fronts to me. I, I think it is an absolute tremendous accomplishment that should be looked at like in the history books of cinema, as far as one of the great things that was able to have it from one filmmaker, um, the various, like, you know, we, t- we talked about all these individually. I'm not going to rehash too much, but, but like Mangrove is so like wonderful to watch as far as the first half of it that tells you, how, how much strife there is, and the second half that gives you this this incredibly satisfying courtroom drama that's everything that Chicago 7 isn't as far as how much quality there is there. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lover's Rock is just 90, 90, 70-something minutes of just wonderful joy um, despite like various bits of drama that comes up in it. Red, White, and Blue, which Marcos is on your list, just does a, t- a tremendous job of like showing you the frustration and anger that's very real coming out of what's going on with police from the perspective of a police officer. Alex Weedle does this great job of giving you the understanding of what life is for somebody that feels like an outsider, despite being within the skin that they live in. And then you have education, which is like the future generation can be in trouble too, but there also can be some hope. Like seeing all these different perspectives, all tackling race in its own way, all tackling the time period and how that still resonates today. Just remarkable. Honestly, just everything about it, the way it came together. It was so great to like watch these week after week and be like, he's just made another amazing movie. And like just feel just get this like great sense of of like pride and like what a, a cinematic mind can do when given like stories they really want to tackle and find like unique ways to do it and put it out there and be like here here's a here's another one of these that's not only like what great movie movie making looks like but also very much delves into something that's important and here's another one and another one like it's just Mm -hmm. i i i'm continually impressed by the fact that this exists that there's five of these things that all came out this year and has just everything about it's really good and yet it's not being like it's not like winning over like people like in this kind of 
unanimous way. Like, I feel I have to keep telling people about how good this thing is. Like, it feels like it should be able to sell itself. But here I am, once again, being like, you need to watch Small Axe. It's wonderful. It's terrific. Yeah, yeah it's my number one, this whole thing. Uh, well, that's it. It's awesome. I, 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 so I made the, 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 my list before I, I heard you say, you know, what you were going to say and, uh, last week. And, um, I do think that you've convinced me this should be taken as one piece. Um, even though there are individual films, um, they link together. There's a lot of linkage and, 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 even they they go in in a certain order um, where you could make uh, you should make an argument that this is one piece this is one entire uh, small act is is its own piece not just this kind of where somebody would say it an anthology series it's it's a one it's it's a it's a movie yeah, in of it's, a, it's a long anthology it's a long movie anthology <laughs> movie yeah um, so yeah I, I, I I'm, I'm with you. Well, thanks, Marcus. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I, what are you going to say? I'm, I'm with you. There were I mean, some for, that I liked more than others, uh, as, we, uh, as we've talked about. But, um, yeah, they're they're yeah. fantastic. And his, the achievement is is just undeniable, uh, what McQueen does. So. Yeah. I, mean, I think we've all followed McQueen from his early days, too. And he's, he's an astounding filmmaker. So all of them together is pretty incredible pretty fantastic i mean and also just to think that it's like hey by the way uh let me just give it to amazon prime you know what i mean like it's yeah. just it's just out well, that, there I mean, that's part of that was part of his argument for doing it that way as far as putting on the bbc in england and then putting it on amazon here he wanted to make like his his quote something along the lines of i wanted to make something where my grandmother could just watch this mm-hmm. like you know not have to like go to a theater or figure out how to see it or what to do it's just like i wanted to make it accessible right. because it's it is for everyone. I mean, none of these are, you know, besides language, none of these are made in a way where it's like only adults should watch this. Like education should be watched by kids. Like kids should watch that, yeah. that, that specific one and be like, this is, this is what, this is what systemic racism looks like right. and how it affects specifically you, you, you guys, the, you, this younger squad here and like what you can do to be different, like mm-hmm. how to make changes, uh, let alone the other one. Like Mangrove is, a, Mangrove would be like a blockbuster in the nineties if it was presented as a fantastic courtroom drama in the same right. way that like the firm and that's not really a courtroom drama. <laughs> so the same as, there was like as a, good, few good uh, men. a few good men yeah. would be yeah. the other, I was the thinking, other Tom lo- Cruise movie. <laughs> I was thinking lawyer movie. <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's just right there to watch. And I, it's, wonderful <laughs> it's just really good yeah um, and i did i did go back and revisit lover's rock and it's nah. fantastic i what am i gonna say it's yeah, fantastic. i went into i high, went into with, with the right I, now this was I, I was wrong i was wrong and <laughs> <laughs> i didn't i didn't hate it i just was kind of underwhelmed a little bit by it um when i first saw it because i didn't know what i was i think i didn't know what i was looking at but uh yeah it's clearly one of if you were going to take that as an individual film, it's one of the best individual films um, made in 2020. So, yeah. All right. Well, we, we've gone through the top 10. Did it. Be, uh, before we move on to like some honorable mentions, some other stuff, let's, uh, let's get to some, uh, some, I'll, I'll kind of intersperse some of these feedback questions. Feedback, 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 feedback. So we did ask, what were your favorite films of 2020? And we got one response here from Chris. Abe, do you have this open or? Yeah. Um, okay. Chris has Color Out of Space, Possessor, Yummy, The Hunt, Relic, The Lodge, Defy Bloods, and The Vast of Night. 
All right. Well, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, great list. Um, so let's get to our honorable mentions now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we mentioned a lot of them just by process of doing the top ten list, but any other honorable mentions that you guys want to shout out here? Yeah, like on the cusp was um, The Invisible Man. Um, I did like Soul a lot as well, and I, I also wrote, wrote down The Hunt for Chris. It wasn't like top 25 per se or like top 15 per se but it's one of those movies where uh, in terms of like social political commentary uh, in the zeitgeist it's it's well done it's well it's uh, it's got some things to say um mine was uh there's some small actors basically all the small act uh films except for uh red white and blue are in there um mank is in there um uh dick johnson is dead uh vasa knight um I like the Borat sub- sequential movie. Um, subsequent <laughs> movie. And um, I also uh, rewatched Uncorked, and it was fantastic. So Uncorked is great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, my 20th through 11 in this order are The Wolf of, Small Hollow, Wolf of Snow Hollow, Color Out of Space, Deer Skin, Palm Springs, The Invisible Man, The Father, Dick Johnson is Dead, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, The Climb, and Nomadland. Mm. Um, again, that those 10 movies would make it a fantastic top 10 for me also like yeah. i have no problem there so yeah all right um let's do uh let's do this one let's get to our favorite surprises that we found this like movies that like dis- that we discovered or were just surprised by as far as their quality we'll go with our feedback first here we have favorite movie discoveries uh, adam gentry friend of the show has ironically the best two movie discoveries i made were the vast of night and david burns american utopia Hey, good movies, Adam. Uh, I found the former only a few days ago and absolutely loved it. Chris writes, yep, The Vast of Night. Loved it for sure. Uh, which is what Luke says as well, Vast of Night, for sure. Uh, so a lot of Vast of Night love, the discoveries. Yeah. yeah. That's also one of my uh, surprises slash discoveries is The Vast of Night. And yeah, I made my top ten list, but also it's from a first-time director, first-time writer, and like he, what, he made like one short before this. Um, yeah. And he like went to film school and then it's like, this is incredible. You know, good job on making a movie that is captivating. And also it doesn't really rely on like faces that, you know, because it's a story that is creepy and also uh, really well done. And, and I think the other the other surprise that I had was um, Sonic the Hedgehog, to be honest. And I was like, this is funnier and better than I expected it to be. And I'm enjoying this much more than I anticipated. And Jim Carrey is doing slapstick jim carrey but also in a way that is like not crazy like over the top jim carrey for whatever reason and james marsden is always a treat i uh, i agree with you like i said this many times surprised like i'm surprised when i get a surprise because i generally like regardless of how much i like something i generally kind of know what i'm expecting mm-hmm. so it's nice to be caught off guard by how good something is uh so yeah sign of the hedgehog is there because i like the movie like i'm not gonna say it's great but i do like the mm-hmm. movie i was more surprised because it's a video game movie so it's like my the bar is already pretty low right there. So when I see something <laughs> that registers, like, oh, good. That was fun. Like, I enjoyed that a lot. Mm-hmm. The other two are sequels that I had no real, you know, expectation for because they've just been talked about forever and they're finally made. And one is Bad Boys for Life, which I thought was pretty great. It's <laughs> like for what bad I Bad Boys, Bad Boys, what you gonna do? Keep going. But I, I, I watched it again the other day just because I wanted something fun because, you know, everything gets terrible these days <laughs> on a constant basis. And it's just like, this movie's so much fun. It's, like, so good. Like, I was so happy that, like, this movie's like, works. Yeah. That I have for, three for, like, bad boys movies that I like. It looks great. Yeah. 
Like, it, it'd be sad if I had, like, to, like, avoid one of them because of how bad they are, like Men in Black Men in Black too. International? Yeah. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> I, no, just bought half... four, I just bought the four set on uh, on digital because it's uh, it was on sale over the holidays. And I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to watch Men in Black International. So. I'm never going. I don't watch two. <laughs> I I own one and three. <laughs> yeah, one is the go-to. Three fun too. <laughs> two is a movie that exists. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless, Bad Boys one through three. Yes, please. Sure. <laughs> this is an enjoyable franchise for me, and I'm glad that the third one worked out. Right. The other one, obviously, is Bill and Ted Face the Music, a movie I had no faith in. Mm-hmm. I was like, why are we finally doing this? And you know what? It's a damn delight. I watched it again <laughs> on uh, I watched it again on New Year's Eve with Anna, and it's like just re- it's so like positive and fun and like takes itself the right amount of like non seriously, mm-hmm. and it just delivers. I was so like not prepared to enjoy a third Bill and Ted movie years after it needed to be done and be like, Oh, that's actually like really fun. And instead it's like, no, this is like, (laughs) this, this knows exactly what kind of tone to strike and how to like deliver jokes and like capitalize off, not just Keanu Reeves, but Alex Winter as well. They're both just really fun in this movie. Yeah, they are. Bill, Bill Sadler. Great. William Sadler, of course. Yeah, it's coming in. Another applause break moment in a movie when death comes back into the film. (laughs) Marcus, how about you? Any surprises from 2020? Um, yeah, actually. Uh, so uh, I really enjoyed. It's a movie that stayed with me. Uh, Gretel and Hansel. Oh, um, oh yeah, like the dark telling of it. Yeah, the dark telling of it. The, twi- the, the twist of, of uh, making it uh, female centric. Um, but also the just the visuals were the just visuals are terrific. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah, it, it stayed with me. And I and and, and for what you want to say about the story, it's 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 good. I, I liked it more uh, more than others, I think. But the visuals are just this thing about it. It's like another character. Um, I, I mean, I could I still think about it. It's, um, like, it's, it's got like a Malik vibe to the visuals, honestly, which yeah. surprised me. Yeah. The way the camera like tracks behind characters from a certain distance, it just feels like very Malicky. I I loved it. I I I think it really really was something that I didn't expect at all. Um, going into a movie called Gretel and Hansel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You expected uh, and uh, then, more action like uh. I like, yeah expected uh, <laughs> like Hansel Gretel witch hunters. Yeah, exactly. Guns <laughs> and and uh, yeah exactly. You expected Three. more Hawkeye action. <laughs> Hawkeyes. And, yeah. Um. Uh. Let's see. Uh, what else was a surprise for me? Um. Kevin James played a Nazi. I. Uh, yeah, that was a movie. <laughs> it was a movie. I don't. I didn't like it, but that was a surprise. I, I put. Wait, it what's in, that one called? It's a one name title, Becky. right? Becky. There Becky. we go. Yeah. <laughs> and he's not even that good. And also, good surprise. I was um uh, pleasantly surprised uh with how many black stories uh there were yeah. um that were super accessible now um from Uncorked to the to Five Bloods to Ma Rainey his house uh, uh small acts um uh, it, it was a really nice kind of like reprieve from the news and uh, Mark, I Marcus, was just... real, Marcus real quick yeah. whose house yeah. His house. Runs Thank house. You. His house. Yeah. yeah. I did it. But yeah. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> I was, uh, uh, that, that was a nice surprise. All right. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's get to the disappointments. Here. Yeah. Where, where, well, where we the, have uh... a question here. What are, what were some of the worst films that you saw last year? We had some folks write in. Chris writes, uh, The Wrong Missy, The Last Day of American Crime, and Hubie Halloween. Um, <laughs> Luke has, You Should Have Left. 
Philip, the tax collector, uh, friend of the show, Scott Mendelson, writes Irresistible. Um, Jake has Toss Up Between Tenet and Wonder Woman uh, 84. Friend of the show, Jim Dietz, has Artemis Fowl, F-O-U-L, and then he corrects it by saying, I mean Fowl, F-O-W-L. Uh, Todd Liebenau has Artemis Fowl. And the awful Netflix doc, Have a Good Trip, colon, Adventures in Psychedelics. And lastly, Maxwell, friend of the show, has uh, the movie that that really spurred us into uh, the era that we're in now, Bloodshot. Yeah, uh, Bloodshot's high on that list. Like, I don't publish a borscht of list anymore because it's just too negative for me. And it's like, I don't care to do mm-hmm. this. But, you know, it's, it's not hard to keep track of the movies that were really bad. Um, <laughs> the, the, the worst... The absolute worst one for me was The Last Day of American Crime, which Chris mentioned, because it's it's not just bad. It's two and a half hours. Um, so <laughs> Two and a half hours of bad? That, that's, of bad, that's awful. yeah. It's it's a really terrible sci-fi-y, action-y kind of movie that's just – it's it's not good. It's 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 really, it's really, really bad yeah. and excruciatingly long. Uh, I, I think the – you know, one, one of the disappointments that come to mind is uh, Wonder Woman 84, and that's probably just because recency bias – it's not great. As far as like disappointments go, I was looking forward to Bad Hair because I really like Justin. Oh Simeon's... yeah, that horror movie, right? Yeah, I really like Justin Simeon's Dear White People, so I was looking forward to what Bad Hair would offer because it's you know he's been doing the Netflix series for so long he he hasn't made a movie since the first one, so he made the Bad Hair and it's just not great. Like I, mm-hmm. it has a good premise, it has a great like opening, but it just doesn't really know how to do anything, and it's pretty long, <laughs> so it's yeah, like. Sure. I, I was it was disappointing to not you know get a better movie. I don't think it's a terrible movie, but it's just like I, yeah that that could have been better. I think it tries to be like Sam Raimi or something. I, I was trying to oh, figure out, but it just doesn't have it doesn't have like the drag me to hell fun I got. That's what I got out of it. I was like this it is ta- like it I, from that yeah like eventually it kind of gets into like yeah. wacky horror, but like there's an hour of it that's just sprawling with so many characters and just not that interesting as far as the the satire it's trying to put in there Mm. right yeah that's true that is true disappointments just everything on everybody's top 10 list i guess (laughs) um so uh okay so so um we already talked about it thinking of ending things um i was actually looking forward to this i just i didn't like it um first cow i thought it was not a bad movie it's just boring to me. Um, Antebellum, I think I talked about this one before. Sure. Um, it kind of just uh, it had a really great premise, and maybe I had other movies in mind, um, and I wanted it to be more layered than it was. Um, not a again, not a bad movie, but just not there. Um, and to me, probably the best movie um, that I was kind of disappointed with was Soul. Um, I think kudos to Pixar and disney and kudos to them for adding these kind of experimental elements to what they're doing um they basically had like what like two or two different types of animation in this they're doing a lot of things they're they're they're, they were doing a lot of things here um i just and i liked kind of both things i just didn't think they balanced well and it, it got me to the point where i was kind of confused um to what what the actual direction of this thing was. I know there was a Disney base, which I was supposed to kind of bond with. And there was this kind of afterlife thing that they were trying to show me. Um, I didn't connect to either of them, even though I can see that people did. And I can see it came together for some people, but it just didn't come together for me 
even though I admire a lot here, there's a lot to admire in this, and I'm in the minority because I'm pro- I probably would give this three and a half stars versus five stars, but uh, there's that. It was just, uh, I guess it would go on my disappointment list. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to I want to read this question out real quick and then we'll get to the, our next topic here. But it's uh, you know, we had there was no theaters in play, obviously. So I was curious what became everyone's most reliable streaming service uh, for last year. And uh, Chris writes for Shudder. He chose Shudder and Netflix. They've kept him sane. Uh, Luke had HBO Max and Amazon Prime. Maxwell had a friend of the show. He's uh, Shudder came in and clutch. And Scott Mendelson uh, put putting aside work responsibilities. I think Wendy and I watched Shudder more than any other service last year. Oh, nice. Yeah, so they've got one of the movies that Aaron and I have talked about, which we have talked about on the show, but it's Host, um, and I, I still need yeah. to catch up with that. I I've, I've since seen it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Solid. Uh, it's I I liked it more than Unfriended, which I also liked. Yeah, yeah. But, I did okay. like Unfriended. I like this. Yeah, I like this more. This is, I mean, developed is what it is, but um, I think it was a good movie. There you go. Yeah, it, 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 it does its good. job. Yeah. It, and it's considering it's the like, limits it has, it has uh, it's well constructed. Yeah. Right. I guess. Um, so let's get to our favorite movie moments of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, if we have any ones that come to mind, I have a lot because I have a whole list I put on We Live Entertainment, but I'll let you guys. Yeah, look, I'm sure, I'm sure that <laughs> there's a ton here uh, that Aaron has. I think the one that really just sticks out to me the most, maybe because of the way that the year has turned out, uh, is one that we just talked about in. Defy Bloods, where Chadwick Boseman comes back mm. and sort of like forgives Delroy Lindo, and that movie, just, that moment just stands. It stood out to me when I watched the movie as well, because mm. of the way that it looks and what's happening there, um, and Chadwick Boseman's performance. And then again, he he passes away last year, and you're just like, this is, I don't know, it, it's just so fitting to some degree. So that movie, that moment certainly stands out to me like probably the most. It carries extra weight for sure. Like I I haven't watched it since he passed away. So it's like, I'm going to watch it soon enough again. Right. But you remember a lot of details about it. I'm sure. Right. For sure. Uh, No, I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying by the time I do watch it again, I know I'm going to get to that scene and it's going to play like differently, differently than it did before, you know, watching it the couple of times that, because I've I've seen it twice already. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Um, movie moments. Uh, there was uh, the five bullets. I'll go to. I'll point to that one as well. The, that mine scene. Oh yeah. Uh, where there the landmine scene. I think it's it's just wonderful. Um, it's 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 Spike Lee just doing, and he's doing what he's doing for the from the the majority of this movie. But he's the guys on this on 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 the landmine. Um, they're trying to figure out how to get him off. The dialogue is super strong. They're talking about Howard alumni. They're doing. He's doing so much. He's doing so much. It's 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 a it's a beautiful bonding scene as well. Um, yeah. with it, with a two characters that don't get along that are related. Mm-hmm. Um, it and it just it's it's it, to me it was really one of those ones that was like oh wow I, I can I can just. This is great filmmaking. Um, great tension. Great yeah. tension. Um, there's also, uh, to make one other mention, it's not a movie that I mentioned um, because I hated the ending, um, but The Dark and the Wicked. Oh, I hated the ending too, but I liked the movie. I liked the movie, <laughs> yeah. It, it wasn't, like, the, the ending was so gonna like, 
yeah, to it's, me it's not, that it's I not just, a good ending. <laughs> yeah, I, I can say like yeah, that, that. But there's this one is the one from the Abe. Hey, hey, this is the one from the director of the Strangers. Oh, yes. okay, got it. So that so there's one scene in this movie that I could not sleep afterwards. It was he's going the the, the, the two two siblings come in. They're gonna take care of their parents. Weird stuff's happening outside. Like unexplainable, whatever. Um, the brother goes to sleep in the bed, and the lights click on. And he's like, "Okay, what's going on?" He goes back. He walks over. He clicks off the lights. He goes back to bed. The lights click on. And that sequence, and it's simple. It's just really yeah. simple, cut and dry. It works, and it's terrifying because. It is any kind of room sequence. I'm kind of like, oh, it's weird. That one reminded me the most of what The Conjuring did best. There was these little small things in The Conjuring that just worked really well. Somebody's staring off into a dark corner of a room. Insidious does that well, too. Insidious yeah. does it where you're leaning in to this thing, but you're recoiling inside. Yeah, so that was a scene that really stayed with me, even though I hate that ending. It's just bad. Yeah, that ending sucks. <laughs> that ending sucks. <laughs> but yeah. But no, yeah, but yeah, it has a lot of really good, a little effective scares, and it, yeah. you're not wrong. That's a good. The James Wan comparison, I think, really works. Uh, I'm not gonna read all of my. Yeah, hit us a couple. Yeah, but but um, sil- the silly game sequence from Lovers Rock obviously yeah. is my absolute yeah. favorite movie moment of the year. Um, just an extended sequence, an extended like dance and sing sequence where. They're already dancing along to the seek to the to the song, and then the music drops, and it's just the the entire party just continues singing the song anyway for an extended period of time. Everything about the emotion of that sequence is just the best. Like it is, it's 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 absolutely great cinema. Uh, just watching something like that unfold, and it's apparently like somewhat improv, like it wasn't necessarily a planned sequence. It's just the rhythm of that night. Um, led to that happening and they just caught it on film those are the best yeah. yeah um the there is a dinner table scene in invisible man that is one of the best horror scenes yeah. i've seen in a long long time uh, a, a, a uh, lot of audible oh shits yeah um just masterfully executed um the the climax of mank when gary oldman's just Manking out at Hearst Castle <laughs> um, is wonderful. So we, gotta, we gotta incorporate that into our show. We just get to, we have to use that as a verb now. More movies should end with drunken rants followed by vomiting all over the floor because it's just <laughs> a really good way to make your point. Um, the car chase and on the rocks when Bill Murray and Rashida Jones are in the red Alfa Romeo cruising the streets of New York going after Marlon Wayne's character. It's just really fun and shot really in like, because it's like a small film from Sofia Coppola, you don't really expect the kind of way it's handled compared to other, you know, movies featuring cars driving fast on the road. Mm-hmm. So you have this like really down and dirty look at this Alfa Romeo, but it's like a fun movie. And it's followed up with this great scene of Bill Murray getting out of a speeding ticket. Um, so it's just, uh, that's a lot of fun. Um, some of these. I mean, Del Rey Lindo's monologue in The Five Bloods is another fantastic mm-hmm. scene. Um, this one scene I want to point out, The Old Guard, uh, a movie I, I quite like, um, probably the best superhero movie of the year by default. Um, there's a few. Um, but there's the scene where the guy that plays Jafar in Aladdin is in the back of a van, um, handcuffed uh, with his partner, and he, he, he gets a question le- leveled at him, and he uses that to make a declaration of love 
and it's just a really wonderful monologue. <laughs> like it's, oh, it's just yeah. it's really well written and performed, and just like stuns the other people in the van with him, and just like stuck out to me. It's just this really nice moment in a like a, a pretty slick action movie that I enjoyed quite a bit. But like just the, like this little character moment was just really well handled. Well, those two characters um, are pretty cool. Yeah. Um, by the way, the guy that the other guy that's in the, it's the, the actor that plays Jafar, um, whose name I cannot remember right now. Um, but the other man in the car, he's in this movie called Martin Eden that I did not see until just recently. Um, but it's also really good. <laughs> it's a really good movie. That I really like. And if I saw it before December or before January, it might have affected how my top ten went. <laughs> but, wow. Um, it's it, but he's like, yeah, it's one of the guys that's in the old guard. He's he's the star of that movie as Martin Eden, and it's a really good movie. So um, yeah, just want to throw that out there. So yeah, those are some favorite movie moments. Nice. Um, all right, let's get back to some of the feedback questions here. Uh, Abe, why don't you bring up the next one on the list? Yeah, I, there's a question of what were some of your favorite performances of 2020? Chris has Elizabeth Moth, Moth, Elizabeth Moss, <laughs> an Invisible Man, and Shirley. Two movies. Uh, and Shirley, who's her husband? It's um, it's a uh, Michael uh, Stuhlbarg. Michael Stuhlbarg, yeah. Um, and then friend of the show Maxwell had it has Carrie Mulligan. Um, in Promising Young Woman, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah. Riz Ahmed, uh, Paul Racy, Mads Mikkelsen, Francis McDormand, and Chadwick Boseman. They all had great movies. Uh, and also, their performances were also really good. Performances for me for this year, it's weird that I'm going to... like I, I want to include Alan Yang as a director, because uh, I think that Tiger Tail is a great first stab at a movie from a guy who's up and coming. He's written a lot of things um, and worked with. Um, uh, I'm I'm thinking of his name as as Tom, but it's not Tom. He's <laughs> unsorry. He's unsorry. <laughs> Tom Haverford. Uh, but uh, he's worked with Aziz in writing and and creating his his show Master of None. But Tiger Tail is a movie that is, it's clearly. Uh, a love story to his parents and his his father in particular, but also his love of like Edward Yang movies and also Wong Kar Wai films, which we've talked about. Marcus, were you on that? Were you in that episode? Yeah, with, that yeah was, so he was. That was our our uncorked Tiger Tail episode. episode. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But it, it's it's clearly a movie that that takes from a lot of other artists at this that he is his, his uh, interacted with. I also want to shout out Pedro Pascal in Prospect, which I think. Um, he he does a great job of being like this weird guy and then turning into like a guy that you actually are rooting for. Um, and lastly, that's a 2019 film, but 2019, but I, I guess because I saw this year. Um, <laughs> and then um, there's actually this movie that I, I brought up a, a few times on the show called The Half of It. Um, I think that that Alice Wu is a great director and writer for this. It's like this movie, this Canadian rom com teenage uh, coming of age story. Um, but the lead actress and at lead actor in it, Leah Lewis, I think she's really good. So, um, yeah, some good performances this year for sure. In addition to everything that all the, the folks wrote in the feedback and, and I'm sure what you guys will, will spotlight. Um, well, I'll, uh, I'm sure Chadwick Boseman, Delroy Del Lindo, those go without saying, um, I'll, I'll highlight, uh, Nicholas Cage. In uh, color space. Color out of space. Oh yeah. Yeah, I I think I think some of his performances I guess are overlooked because the movies are bad. But this the movie is the eccentric eccentric nature of this movie is competing with with Nick Cage's eccentric personality and it's just eccentric to the max. And I I I loved it. 
Um, but I love this performance. I think he, I think he's just I think he's pretty solid in it. Um, also, Audrey Plaza in Black Bear and Black Bear is just bad. I don't like it at all. It's a great movie. Uh, it's a I didn't, top 25. I didn't like it. It was whatever. But Audrey Plaza, I mean, for for people who haven't seen like Legion and 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 can't see her range, she's ranged out in this. She is just this is her movie. She is stepping over people. She's crying. She's everything. And I hated the movie. So that's I guess it's <laughs> I do like that you can discern this though. There's so many people that write off movies and right. then just don't say anything positive about them, even though there's stuff that is almost objectively good despite the fact that you don't like the film. And so like I like that you're able to discern between like movies you don't like but still respect these aspects of them. Because that's, right. I think I that's, mean, that's far more valuable to me. For sure. I'll try to stick to because we've talked about some of the great ones and movies that we've talked about in our top 10 so let's stick with some of these as more obscure ones but like sean parks and mangrove yeah um mads mickelson in another round uh nicole bahari and miss juneteenth is very good um glenn turman in ma rainey's black bottom is great uh, we'll talk more about this soon but leslie odom jr is a standout for me in one night in miami um bill burr is great in the king of staten island um, oh right yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, as much as uh, uh, the both possessor performances, Andrea Risebrow yes. and um, Christopher Abbott, right. um, which is very tricky for Abbott, by the way, as far as what needs to be accomplished. He's I think in Black Bear there. as well. He is in Black Bear. Yep, yeah. he's also good. Um, this is true. As it's weird how like it's gone down and down in favor for me, but Trial of Chicago Seven, like I, I can't deny the good things in it. There's plenty of it's great, it's great editing, but also there's a handful of good performances in there. I think Yaya Madul. Yaya Abdul-Mateen II is very good in it. Mark Rylance is obviously very good in it. And as much as I paint his character, Frank Rangela is very good in that movie as well. So, Yeah, uh, I, I was going to say, like, for a movie moment, it would have been hilarious if I said the way that the Trial of the Chicago 7 ends with just all that writing for you to read. <laughs> Shut but, up. <laughs> you know, it's a great way to end a movie, guys. And uh, <laughs> there's... um. There's a performance in the movie Emma from like really early on in the year. Yeah. Uh, there's a number of good performances in there because I think it's a, it's a, like a nice movie. But uh, Miranda Hart has a performance in there where she plays like an annoying friend of hers. Mm -hmm. But then like things take a turn and it becomes a little more dramatic, and she knows how to make that work. So it's a it's a like a good it's a good performance as far as the kind of change in tone that takes place. Um, Oh, oh, and then uh, Hugh Jackman in Bad Education, because it's like it's an HBO thing now, but Hugh Jackman in Bad Education is like his best performance of all time. <laughs> and it, it kind of gets like lumped kinda, out there. Yeah, I was like, it kind of got swept under the rug there. But he is fantastic in that movie. So, um, All right, so there's a performance. Nice. Uh, all right, let's, um, let's get to next year a little bit and then we can start wrapping up because i know we've been going for a little while here um what delayed films are you most looking forward to this year todd has dune maxwell has in the heights in the heights and chris ha good morning that's jimmy smith's <laughs> in that trailer good morning who's davi <laughs> chris has antlers Candyman, a quiet place too still being quiet Thank you, Chris. Mm -hmm. And Godzilla versus Kong. I'm glad that we've uh, we've impressed upon our audience to take on our humor for sequel <laughs> names. 
<laughs> it's, that was a very satisfying thing to read. <laughs> but, um, what uh, I mean, we can talk. We can extend this further, not too long because we've been going a while. But what beyond the what movies are you looking forward to in general? I know there's obviously a lot of delayed films. Of course, yeah. I just wrote down a few here: Bob's Burgers, Eternals, and Pixar's Luca. Oh, there you go. Okay. Uh, Dune. Uh, Dune and, and Dune. Um, Wait, three Dunes? <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna release part two and make it part three. Mar- Marcus, are you are you I excited for Dune because you've read it, or you just like look forward to a new Danny Villeneuve film? I have read it. I uh, am obsessed with the production. I own Dune. I. <laughs> I own I, I've raised I my own sandworm from birth. I, listen, <laughs> I, I do. It, listen, <laughs> I, I don't like that movie, but I own it and I've seen it multiple times. Um, but I'm just looking forward to it. I, I need to see you dress up as Sting for Halloween. Going, often. <laughs> I do all the time. I, I <laughs> um, but I'm just looking forward to seeing what it, what, what could possibly this, what could this be? What 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 could this be? So I I just I'm looking forward to it. Um, also Candyman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Candyman is one I've been looking for. That was one I most for last year, and obviously it's going to be the same for this year. Obviously Godzilla versus Kong is huge for me. Um, I have a whole another list on Why's the Blue about that my most anticipated films of the year. So I won't go through all these things, but yeah, I mean there are some big ones, obviously. Uh, I am looking forward to In the Heights quite a bit. The, um, <laughs> uh, the Green Knight is one I'm really looking forward to, too. This was supposed to come out last year. It's from David Lowry, who did a ghost story, among other things, which I know, Marcus, oh. you're a big fan of. Yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's a it's, whole it's, pie or cake or whatever. He's the whole thing. Yeah. It's a pie. Yeah, but, but now he has this, like, medieval... <laughs> he has this medieval story based off Sir Gawain from Arthurian Legend starring Dev Patel. And I'm like, yeah, I want to see like a a wacky A24 medieval epic. Yes, give me that now, please. So <laughs> I, I I'm like desperate to see what that is. Yeah, no, there's I mean there's plenty of stuff. The Marvel stuff, obviously. Matrix Four, like yeah, give Late whatever. Too, like, yeah. yeah, I'm I, I I I am one of the biggest fans of the Matrix Reloaded. So it's like yes, I like the sequels. Give me another one of these sequels. They worked out really well for me the first time. I'll give me more of that. <laughs> I can't wait for them to uh, – because they were filming – pre-COVID, they were filming on the street where my office was in San uh-huh. Francisco. So, like, I'm curious uh, what I'm going to see. They'll be like, oh, yeah, look, that's where I used to work. <laughs> and, uh, like, by default, Mission Impossible 7, obviously. I mean, why would we not expect sure. this to be great? The <laughs> so, build-up has been epic. So. so, yeah, I can't, you know. Can't wait to see what that is. Right. And obviously we're going to finally get the Bond movie that we've been waiting like years for. That's <laughs> what it feels like. So, <laughs> I, I look forward to seeing more than the first two minutes of No Time to Die. <laughs> Top Gun is not on there? I think it's coming. I'll see it. It's coming. Yeah. It's on there. Like, I've mentioned it in a past show where it's like, yeah, one of the most anticipated movies I'm looking forward Top Gun. Edgar Wright has a new movie, so automatically I'm there. The Last okay. Night in Soho. Um, yeah. There you go. And like, Coming to America, yeah. I don't expect it necessarily to be like great, but I'm just excited to like have a good time with that. Yeah, like, I, I hear you. If it, Eddie Murphy and Arsenio just doing their thing, right. I know like if, if like if like Louis Anderson comes in and McDowell's 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 yeah. yeah, and just is like still working there, I'm gonna giggle my ass off. I know it. Like it's just yeah. gonna make me so happy. To That'd still, be like, fantastic. Watch this. Cameo. 
<laughs> it would be him and <laughs> him and John Amos. Like that'd just be wonderful. <laughs> He's got to be in the movie um, though. I, I would say um, Judas and the Black Messiah because it's a fantastic trailer, but I've actually seen the movie at this point, so I'm not really, I'm not anticipating it because I've already seen it now. It. So, but it is one that people should anticipate. Okay. Um, yes, I'll say that. I am. I am. Um. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of stuff, but yeah, well, you can plenty of things to look forward to, and I hope that we're able to, you know, see them ideally in better settings. But we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah. With um. With all of that said, I mean, I, we, we've gone through our top ten. We've done all this stuff. It's been a long time. I think we can call it a day on this episode of the podcast. No, I think, I think we can go for two more hours. All right, so let's get yeah. going. And we're back. Okay, so we pause <laughs> for a second. The recording stopped, and yeah, you just lost the next two hours that we talked about. But we're, oh, now we're, we're finally going to wrap it up here now. Uh, that is going to do it for this week's episode about Now with Internet. Uh, you can find more of my work at personalbobdecodazit.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing over at weliveentertainment.com, where my top movie moments can be found, and at ysoblue.com, where my top ten full list can be found, along with my most anticipated films of the year. And on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? Our more friends up over my Instagram, abe.mua, and twitter.com slash walrusmoose, hashtag, I guess, in the heights. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus Robinson, where can people find more of your uh, work? Uh, movies Marcus on Instagram, moviesmarcus.com, movies Marcus one, or sorry, movies Marcus one on Instagram. I'm confusing everybody. Anyway, <laughs> just type in movies Marcus and something will come up. I will interact with you. Like I said, I'll, I'll, every time I will, whatever you want me to do. I think last time I agreed to do cameos. Um, and, you did? You know, whatever. <laughs> I think so. And I, I'm, I will. A competitive price. I, 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 I will give you a competitive price. Wow, we've we've got a cameo <laughs> on our show, Aaron. We should be so proud. That's Chinooka, a word. Chinooka. <laughs> all right. Well, you can find all the other episodes of this podcast over at iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, and HHWLOD. Feel free to email us any thoughts you might have had on this episode over at outnotpodcast at gmail.com. Send us messages, likes, requests, comments over at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or you can tweet us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And stay tuned for all the wonderful posts we do over at instagram.com slash outnow underscore podcast as well. Uh, Marcus Robinson, thank you very much for joining us. Marcus, for this thank you so much. Thank you for having me, even though I hate most movies, apparently. Well, you know, everyone's got their own taste. <laughs> <laughs> That's so annoying. Thank you. We can't You're all be so right, Marcus. Yeah, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> As we, we, we've we somewhat wrapped up 2020, but not quite, based off certain movies that are still coming out, let alone the Oscars in April. Uh, we are happy to kind of, you know, we're going to keep this train going as we enter into 2021. So, uh, you know, I look forward to another year at the movies um, with you guys, of course, as well, you know, with all of our guests that we talk about things with and our listeners that stay, you know, paying attention to us for whatever reason. Um, so... Here's to a, another good year of movies to, you know, celebrate and then a year from now talk about in varying degrees. Um, yeah, but with all that said, um, that's going to do it. So until next time, so long. And goodbye.
I hated it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, 